Is it only Sprite on those rare once a decade occasions that you treat yourself or is seven up acceptable? Oh, seven up is we'll do in a pinch, but not re- I mean, I like seven up. I do. I like it, but it's it's like saying, is it just chocolate or vanilla? Like, I like both of them, but when you want vanilla and you get chocolate, you're like, oh, but I wanted vanilla, right? So even though they look the same and pe- people will say they taste kind of the same, you know, anyway, I have no Sprite or 7-Up in the house and I never do. What about Sierra Mist? Oh, good question. Uh, that is garbage and maybe you could use it to clean something. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> All right, so I'm sorry. You said 7-Up if you can. I mean, I don't know. It depends on what mood I'm in, right? right. It's like, like, well, chocolate if you can. Otherwise, vanilla. Sometimes you want vanilla. Sometimes you want chocolate. I'm trying to nail you down. You're not letting me. It's okay. mm, I mean, I'm not, I don't have strong feelings about drink a drink that I almost never drink. Like, the, the, remember, This is the only thing you don't have strong feelings about, John Syracuse. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. The only, reason, the only reason I'm known for this drink is because when I go out to a restaurant, and, uh, you know, either the thing comes with a drink or I don't want to just have water because we're doing everything fancy. I have to pick something to drink. It's not water. And when I'm at home, I'm not forced to make that choice. I just have water all the time. <laughs> Whatever makes you happy, John. I used to have milk, but that's got too many calories and not good for your cholesterol. So, Well, the almond milk, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Again, maybe if I need to clean something. Wow. Oh, wow. Almond milk is good. Come on, man. Did you listen to the milk episode of, of Top 4? None of those none of those so-called milks are good. Well, yeah, they're all just different forms of sugar and starch. But but yeah, almond milk would be also a terrible choice to clean things with. Maybe it's like skin so soft where you're trying to get like a, the sticker scum off. Or it's so, it's so like uh, <laughs> slimy that it'll make the sticky stuff not stick. It's like an oily thing. Uh, it's No. <laughs> <laughs> almond milk. You can't even clean with it. <laughs> oh, golly. All right. We don't have time to kill, John. We uh, we have to hurry it up. Can we right, you're the up? one who's pressing me on my choice of drink. I have a glass of water next to me on a different level than my computers. What else is new? <laughs> I have I have a water bottle directly behind my keyboard and a glass full of ice that is prepared for later uh, that is sitting uh, to the right of my magic trackpad. And I have a giant 20-ounce bottle of Hal's Black Cherry Seltzer sitting on my desk at the same level as most of my gear, except for my MacBook Air, which is on top of a speaker, which is running this entire operation through my LG 5K ultra-fine monitor. Oh, man. We're going to get to that, but let's not get there yet. All right. I would like to re-air my grievance, and I will be very quick about it. Uh, Aaron is still having... Uh, intermittent SMS or really group MMS issues. Please, Apple, for the sake of my marriage, please, can we fix this for real this time? You sort of fixed it in, what was it, like 14 one something and then 14.3 or whatever just came out it was like no 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 we fixed it for realsies this time. Literally an hour ago she was not receiving group MMSs. I filed a feedback before you all get angry. Feedback, FB889003. There will be a link in the show notes. Apple people, please save me. Save me. Erin is so over this, and I am almost as bad as she is. This is ridiculous. This is a communication device that doesn't communicate. Please fix this. Thank you. All right, tell me about B&O headphones. These are uh, Bang & Olufsen headphones that I mentioned in the last show. They're sort of like AirPods Max, and I think it's an interesting comparison because Bang & Olufsen is a similar kind of like luxury, fancy brand. And in fact, the appearance and construction is very similar. You know, metal or the appearance of metal. And, you know, they even have a white model with the, the white pads and white strap and everything looks kind of airpotty. So these are the B.O. play. God, I really don't like I understand what they're going with B&O, B.O., <laughs> but it's, it's B-E-O-P-L-A-Y. It's a bad name. Anyway, the B.O. play H95s. 
They are $800, as you would imagine, from Bang & Olufsen. It's like a little step up in terms of price from Apple because Bang & Olufsen is clearly a luxury brand. It doesn't have any pretense of being a real consumer brand. They're at 323 grams uh, instead of 385 like the Mac, so a little bit lighter, but they do have metal on them. I'll put a link in the show notes to these. They come with the hard case, and they are symmetrically folding, but they do fold the, the ear cups into the negative space made by the headbanding, so they get smaller than the Apple ones, and they come with a hard case, two things that Apple chose not to do and or blew it on, including, depending on, on your stance on it. And they come with... A regular 3.5 inch, 3.5 millimeter audio cable thing, plus the two prong little airplane headphone adapter, mm-hmm. plus a USB C to A, what looks like C to A charging cable. Um, and Bang also makes a bunch of different models. They make this $800 one. They also make a $300 one and a $500 one, which drop various amounts of features from the $800 one. So this is a very direct competitor in terms of pricing, feature set, and aesthetics. They gets a bunch of things right that Apple's doesn't. By the way, I think this fancy one also, like the entire outside of the ear cup is like a, a giant dial. So it even gets the physical controls right. I believe that's a swiping thing. I think it actually turns. I don't know. I was, Most of B&O's headphones, they have like like touch panel uh, controls, which frankly, I, I've tried I've tried a bunch of these. People keep asking me about whether I've tried the H95s and, and B&O made a wonderful wired headphone. The H6 second gen was one of my favorite wired headphones ever. Um, but I have tried almost all of their Bluetooth models up to about two years ago, and they were all garbage to me. Like, And I couldn't believe that the company that made that amazing wired H6 second gen could then never follow it up with anything that sounded nearly as good as it in their wireless segment. Um, and they've always had really finicky controls. However, I think they they have more premium materials than what Apple's going for. I think they are, uh, by some tastes, including mine, I think more attractive than than the AirPods Max. Um, but you know, like I, I see what they're going for. But as far as I know, they have not yet made a great sounding wireless headphone. Um, but I have not yet tried this model. But honestly, they burned so much credibility with me over the years that I I would not drop eight hundred dollars to buy this, even if I thought I could easily return it. I mean, that's kind of the bang and awesome thing is they're always going to be overpriced for what you get. Like, that's their whole brand. In fact, if they weren't, it would be damaging to their brand to be reasonably priced. You know what I mean? You, no, I, except the H6. The H6 second gen was like, I think, 250 or 300 and it sounded like it. It was great, and it was light and comfortable, and it was just an amazing headphone. That's, that's why they had to get rid of it. It was damaging to their brand. Yeah, it was too, it was too good. <laughs> yeah, I, I just double-checked, and the, these ones, they do actually have a physically turning dial. I'm not sure how oh, easy right. it is to use. But like the, the reason I bring them up is just because they look so much like the AirPods, and because Bang & Olufsen being, I don't know, more experienced, more more practically minded than Apple, which sounds strange for a company that is known for its impractical-looking you know, electronics, having a, a compact folding headphone with a hard case that comes with the accessories you would expect in an $800 headphone. So I feel like Apple really needs to learn something. If they want to play in this space, it's okay to include the cable and not make you pay 35 bucks for it. It's even okay to make a hard case and, a, and an adapter for airplanes. It's fine. It doesn't diminish your brand to do that. The AirPods Max button can cycle between three states, one of which is off, which is selectable in Bluetooth preferences. Wait, which are we talking about the um, the digital crown button or something? No, else? The, uh, the 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 other button. 
there has been confusion about this. Marco will be able to clarify, but here I'll lay out the confusion and then you're, you will give us definitive clarity in the review section, which is coming. Don't worry, everyone. Um, so the confusion about the AirPods Max and uh, battery life last time was like, oh, do you have to put them in that stupid case to make them go to sleep? If you don't do that, they'll be on all the time. And we're like, well, why would they be on all the time? They have a million sensors. They can tell when you're wearing them. Wouldn't they go off? Uh, Matt Panzerino said that they fall asleep. We read that in the last episode, his, uh, his tweet about that, that if you take them off, they do, you know, go to sleep or go into an off mode. But other people are like, no, it's going to drain your battery, right? So this was a twist on on this as the reviews started coming out that, that uh, the button on the top, the one that normally toggles between transparency and uh, noise canceling, there's a preference in Bluetooth settings, and uh, I think you can get to it through uh, Control Center as well, where you can change that to cycle through three things it would you press it once and it goes to transparency press it again it goes to noise canceling press it a third time and it goes to a setting called off right so it's like okay well i guess you don't have to use the case for that because it goes to a setting called off but that doesn't mean off as in the headphones are off all it means is that it's not transparency and not noise canceling at least that's what we know so far so yes it's just like the airpods pro yeah which is which, yeah exactly it's the same it's the airpods pro feature set now all of that being said, people are still freaking out about the idea that you can't turn them off. And so, I mean, I'm not sure. How long have you had these, Marco? A couple of days? A couple hours. Oh, well, maybe you can't tell us about the battery life things, but I will just add now that everyone who's had them for a little bit longer has said, uh, if you're freaking out about the idea that you can't turn these things off, don't worry, because if you wore them all day long and played music really loud all day, they would still last all day. So it's more of an academic concern than a real one. I would say that fairly definitively at this point, if you get these and never want to use that stupid case, it, you'll probably be fine. Until I mean, maybe the batteries go off a cliff in two years and they get they start getting terrible battery life and you have to replace the battery. But anyway, there's that. Um, and and Panzer chimed in again about this saying, um, this is one of his tweets. There are several states. Obviously, they pause right away. Then a few seconds later, they shut down the connection. They ju- they aren't just on forever when you take them off. All right. Real-time follow-up, uh, that bug about SMS is not being received properly. I just got a, like, three-hour late group MMS, so it's happening to me, too. I'm <laughs> over it, Apple. Over it. So over it. Okay, so, Marco, last we heard, our intrepid hero was about to make his walk of shame with his extremely large computer, presumably in your bespoke car- uh, carrying case. What's going on with your setup? You've been talking about the LG 5K, your favorite monitor of all time. Can you uh, update us on what the world is? What in the world is going on here? Uh, so, yeah, my I I brought my iMac Pro into the Apple Store. I I brought it in my giant case on top of the dolly I bought for it. So I wheeled this giant case oh in front of the Apple Store. I'm amazed they let me in the door <laughs> with that thing. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it, 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 they were very nice. It, it, the store is in limited operation because of quarantine, and so they just had like a few Genius Bar stations spread across like the front, right as you walk in. The whole rest of the store is shut down, so it's it's kind of a minimal operation. Um, but they handled everything really well. They at first said, "Oh, that sounds like it might be software." Ran a little diagnostic, um, but then uh, the lead genius oversaw and was like, "Hey, you know, this might be some other kind of weird thing. Let's take it in." So they, I don't know, did they use the term "admitted it"? Like in a hospital, like they, <laughs> whatever it is, they, they took it, <laughs> they took it like, you know, for a few days uh, and then have and then have called to say that it, it indeed failed some kind of firmware level test so they could rule out software, uh, whatever that means. And uh, and they uh, have determined that it needs a new logic board and parts for that are a little slow right now. It seems the logic board could be 14 days out. Holy smokes. Uh, so. So here I am, 
as my temporary solution, which I knew I would have to use this for a little while. And this is part of the reason why I did this around uh, Christmas, because we, you know, we don't really do much for Christmas week. So I, you know, I don't I don't have like heavy computing needs. Uh, so I knew this would be a good time to not be with my main computer. Um, but in the meantime, I have this ultra fine LG 5K monitor plugged mm-hmm. into my quite wonderful and pleasant uh, new M1 MacBook Air. And I have it in clamshell mode. I'm not using both screens. I'm only using the LG. The Air is closed and on top of a speaker over there uh, with two cables <laughs> plugged into it um, because the ultra-fine LG monitor is just so bad. And I, like, and, you know, as a screen, it's fine. It is one of the only screens that has ever existed, and I believe the only one currently for sale that is 5K resolution at 27 inches. As far as I can tell, there are no other ones. There, there's there's one by Planar, which um, it gets even worse reviews and uses DisplayPort instead, um, and it seems to be out of production or at least in very low production. Um, and then there's this one, and that's that's it. All the PC people are like, oh, just there's a million 27-inch monitors. Yeah, they're all 4K because that's what gamers want and that's what Windows users want and none of them buy Macs and Mac people don't buy them and so it's a whole different world and that doesn't cover this and the DPI is wrong and screen elements would be all the wrong sizes and everything. So I'm not interested in any of those. Oh, can we, let me just interrupt you real quick because I can hear the typing of listeners (laughs) saying to you, what is wrong with you? Get one of the 97-inch curved displays or one of those god-awful things that... I, I don't want to speak for you, Marco, but as a fellow old man, I probably can. I don't want a curved display. I don't want a 30-some inch display. I want something that's like my iMac. Well, I mean, I have my iMac, but you know, in this hypothetical, I want something that's <laughs> like my iMac that's nice and flat and rectangular and 5K. Now, I could alternatively, and this is what I did at my jobby job, I could get smaller 4K monitors, but in my personal opinion, it, you need to be at 5K if you're going to be at 27 or more inches. That's just my opinion, but that's the way I like it. And I think I speak for you in saying that. I have zero interest in one of these 96-inch curved displays. None. Do not care. I know people love them. They are not for me. Do not want. Please do not write us because we know they exist. We do not want. Well, I mean, two things. Number one, like those are almost always not high DPI. So if you're what you're going for is like the retina look for Macs, uh, they usually don't have the density to do that. Um, but number two, this is very much not just your opinion. There's a range of DPI that monitors can have where think where screen elements on Macs will look like they're in roughly the right size range. Like how many pixels does it take to, or like how many square inches does, you know, a, a thing of this size take up? That's like a, that's in a fixed range. So we have these, these ranges of like, what's a correct resolution for 27 inches. And the answer is either 2560 by something, which is one X and non retina or 5120 by something, which is two X retina. And no one makes 3X in this range yet. Interestingly, Dell makes an 8K monitor, um, but it's actually too high density to be 2X, but too low to be 3X. (laughs) (laughs) It's 8K at like, it's like 32 inches, I think. And 8K at 2X would have to be about 40 inches to to have the right DPI range. Um, But anyway, so, and, and there are, you're right, there are some 4K monitors that are in the right DPI range, which at 4K is roughly 22 to 24 inches. Uh, there are some of those that exist, but not a lot, even of that. And one of them is the LG Ultrafine 4K. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, so the the LG man, I, I haven't used this monitor full time in in a number of years, and I've forgotten like how mediocre it is. Like to, to me, the the two biggest problems are that the stand is total garbage. That it's very it's very wobbly. Like talk about like typing on your keyboard and having your monitor wobble this is way worse it's it's a terrible stand for wobble way worse than like an imac um even on the same desk with the same keyboard and the same person banging on the keys also it has the you know like most pc monitor mounts it has a 360 degree rotating thing so you could rotate the monitor to portrait orientation or landscape if you want um but it doesn't like latch in very well to those even 90 degree rotations so the most common thing of having it just regular in portrait orientation, it's really hard to get it exactly level. Like it's, it feels like it's slightly off all the time and you can like move it slightly and it stays like it's, it's, it's a crappy cheap stand and the monitor is wrapped in a crappy cheap enclosure with a crappy cheap backlight. And there's tons of backlight leakage around the bottom edge. And so if you have like a very dark screen in a very dark room, you can see the bottom edge kind of glowing a little bit and it looks light gray instead of black. Um, so yeah, backlight leakage, but Besides the stand, the other major problem with this monitor is that the USB ports that are on it, you basically can't use for anything that matters because they are unreliable, extremely, extremely unreliable. And you can't use them for things like audio or keyboards. I'm not even sure what you can use them for. I guess like charging your phone, you could use it for that. But that's about all you can do reliably on those those USB ports. Um, So... I, I I have ordered the CalDigit uh, Thunderbolt dock because it has by far seemingly the best reviews for Thunderbolt docks um, because <laughs> I, I'm relying now on in, in, while that gets here, which it isn't here yet, I'm relying on my USB-C hubs that I have. I have two USB-C hubs. One I've never talked about because it's weird and boring and doesn't seem to exist anymore. And the other one is is like, you know, the, one of those that everybody has for their laptops that has like the Ethernet and the two USB-A and the card reader, you know, and HDMI, like that thing. The thing that everybody has that costs about 50 bucks. Like, so I have one of those and this other weird thing that has USB-C upstream ports. Um, but... They're both unreliable in different ways. And I at one point to get everything working, I had to daisy chain them both, which is not a good idea. And I had to then (laughs) the second one didn't have enough power to to power USB devices off of it. So I had to use its input port to like to plug in a separate USB-C power adapter. So now I have this big like square of power (laughs) routing and I'm like this. There's no way this is going to work. And it actually kind of did for a while, but it caused weird uh, noises and things. Not even just ground loops, like weird other electrical noises um, in various things. I'm like, all right, I can't, I can't be running an audio business and have all these all this noise everywhere. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, this is a, a just an unreliable setup. And what I ultimately want, I, I'm I am so far temporarily okay with having the laptop as my primary computer plugged into a monitor. It's not ideal. I would rather have a desktop. Um, but right now, you can't get the new M1 Mac Mini in any reasonable amount of time if you want 16 gigs of RAM. I still ultimately want more gigs of RAM than that and more disk space than two terabytes uh, for my desktop solutions here. So so ultimately, I think I am going to wait for an iMac or a higher spec Mac Mini or a Mac Pro before I totally replace this desktop. But in the meantime, using it temporarily as you know MacBook Plus monitor, it seems to be fine so far. I haven't run into any major issues that have to do with like the laptop interfacing with this crappy display. 
Um, the only issues I've had have been with peripherals and, you know, just getting getting all these terrible ports to work reliably. And the only thing that I think is going to fix that is if the CalDigit Thunderbolt thing is of the quality that everyone seems to think it is and say it is, uh, then I will plug the laptop directly into that and then plug everything else into that and not even use the monitors, ports, or any of these terrible USB-C hubs that I have at all. Uh, and that should theoretically fix my problems if it works now i was tempted instead of ordering the caldigit thing on amazon and having it take almost a week to get here because island uh i was tempted to (laughs) island slash covid slash christmas by the way (laughs) um i was tempted to just set money on fire and just go to the damn apple store and get the xdr and the Apple Store also sells the CalDigit. <laughs> so I was <laughs> I was looking like, hey, what stores have this in stock tomorrow? And what's the boat schedule that could possibly get me there with enough time to get back before the, the last boat? Uh, and I was looking into all this stuff and looking into, you know, what, what does the XDR seem like in practice? And what does the 5K seem like, the LG 5K, you know, seem like in practice? And do I really want to be looking at, like, I'm a professional. I like I am an Apple commentator and a professional developer. I am 38 years old, goddammit. Do I want to be looking at this screen that I hate every day or do I want to get the screen that I like and look at that every day? Like what am I working for? <laughs> if I'm why do I ha- why do I like Apple products? Why do I want something terrible and ugly and that that has all these problems if I can get something great? I love this glimpse inside your internal monologue that leads you to buy expensive things. <laughs> this, this is the this is the devil that's on all of our shoulders. It looks just like Marco, and it sounds like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I I looked, but ultimately, like I basically like you know made made a pro and con list uh, between the XDR and the LG five K, and it's it's not as clear cut as I would hope. You know, the XDR has some things about it that are significant downsides to me. And, you know, the price is the biggest downside. I mean, you know, the configuration I want would be $6,000 plus $500 for AppleCare plus tax. So just just under $7,000. Oh, God. Yeah, I I have a very hard time justifying that for what it is and for what I need. Because I don't need the HDR side of it. I don't need that at all. I really don't like that it has a fan. I know, John, I know you said that you never hear it in practice and you're probably right but i i really dislike that it has a fan at all because for something that's that expensive that i that i would hope would be so long lasting and so long lived having a fan is, is a warning sign for me it's that like I don't, I don't love that there also is like practical downsides like i couldn't do my one cable solution with that because 6k takes up so much bandwidth over the thunderbolt 3 connection that there's not enough speed left. And like, you know, I know there's like the weird display compression thing, but there's not much bandwidth left for those ports on it. That's why the ports are not Thunderbolt, they're USB. And they're in mo- many configurations, USB 2 speeds instead of USB 3 speeds. And you can't plug the 6K into Thunderbolt docks or Thunderbolt base stations or whatever they're called, like the CalDigit. You have to plug it directly into the computer. At least as far as, far as I know, it seems like no Thunderbolt dock supports it. Um, so that now there's two cables instead of one going to the laptop and two cables I have to keep plugging and unplugging every day as I take my laptop up upstairs and then bring it back downstairs. Like, so, so there's, it's just, it adds a lot of downsides. And I also, I don't like 
the backlighting method of having those 576 LEDs that can all be individually controlled because that creates the potential for non-uniformity in the backlighting that creates the potential for like those halos where you have something bright in the middle of a bunch of dark uh, and you have like a big halo blob around it. To me, that's incredibly inelegant. I don't like when TV started doing that. I don't like Apple doing it. I'm not looking forward to the rumored micro LED screens that are coming in their higher end products, I guess, next year or sometime because that's probably going to do the exact same thing. I don't like that. To me, that's inelegant. I, I would rather have every pixel be individually controlled and ind- and totally independent and totally consistent and uniform with every other pixel, no matter what they are showing. I don't like display technologies that rely on hacks like that. And I know why they do it to get their XDR, you know, dynamic range. I know that, but I don't like that. And I don't want that. I want uniformity and elegance across the entire display panel. And I don't have that with the XDR. It comes close, but there's that, there's that giant asterisk on that. And I don't like that. If you're worried about it from an elegance perspective, like that's your prerogative, but I can tell you that at non when you're not showing HDR video, you will never see like that's that does not manifest. If I just told you, oh, the backlight's on 100% all the time, you would have to believe it because there's nothing you can see on the screen with your eyes without like an electric instrument to show the dynamic backlighting. Now, if you put it in HDR mode and show a star field or a black background with a white square moving across it, Maybe then you can pick it up. But even then, you know, it's, it's hard to say. But for regular, like, desktop computer mode, which is the only way you're going to use it because you're not doing HDR video, you can't see any bloom. You can't see any halo. For, in fact, for all I know, when in this 500 inch mode, the backlight is on 100% all the time. I don't even know. I just, I can tell you that you don't see the halo. So I know that sounds gross to you, and you could worry about the, you know, electronic sophistication that causes that to happen. But I'm going to say in practice, in regular 500 nit, I'm using my thing as a Mac mode. It is a non-issue visually speaking. All right. That's, that's good to know. Uh, I, so you've never noticed that ever. No, I don't think I, even, even in the, so when you see the thing where people do like when they do reviews of dynamic backlight television sets and they do them in HDR mode to show this exact effect, like, Hey, it's a black background with some white text. I'm going to show you the halloing. Even when they do that for televisions, which exhibit this much more, um, they have to adjust the exposure on the camera because with the naked eye, it's actually a little bit tricky to see. Um, I don't, I th- you know, I, I, I do very little in HDR with this as well. I play Destiny in HDR occasionally, and I have some HDR videos that I watch, but none of them really show off the hailing. But I'm absolutely sure I could see it if I give it the worst case scenario of a 100% white square moving across a black screen in HDR. But in any other mode, and like, I'm staring at my screen right now. Like, there's black against white all over the place, and I cannot see any bloom whatsoever. So, yeah, it, it is. I don't like it either. I would never buy it in my television set, uh, but I didn't worry about it for this monitor because it, at monitor levels, it just doesn't show up. Hmm. All right. I, I That's that's good to know, and that, that will probably factor into whatever I decide to do. But I, I mean, you, and you'll find out when, if these mini LED things come out. Like, eventually, you're just going to get one no matter what. Like, you won't have a choice, right? And then you'll see that it's like, well, for non-HDR applications where nothing is really that bright, it's it's fine. Uh, I hope so because I it just it's so inelegant of a solution. Like it's just it's not. Yeah, well, we don't have all we don't have OLED computer monitors yet, so that's that's really what you want is individually lit up pixels with also high contrast. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I've decided based on my these concerns and these inelegances for me. I'm not going to get the XDR for now. I'm going to stick with the stupid LG as long as it continues to work, asterisk. But I just have to 
not use the LG's built-in ports and hope that it works well through this CalDigit thing that's on the way. And if it doesn't, then I'll reevaluate. Um, and I'm I'm not excited at all about the LG uh, for long-term use. I'm intending it now to be just a bridge between now and either when I decide to switch back to my iMac Pro, which I might do whenever it comes back, or if I decide not to switch back to it, uh, if I if I get too hooked on the M1 lifestyle, um, then this will just be a temporary thing until I figure out what my next what my next desktop will be, uh, and then we'll see what happens. But if the LG like <laughs> if the LG breaks, or if something like if something goes wrong with it that that I haven't hit yet in the last few days that I've been using it so far, I would not replace it. Like I can't bring myself as as much as I have a hard time spending seven thousand dollars on a six K, I could not bring myself to buy another one of these LGs. <laughs> so it's it's here temporarily, but I don't anticipate this being a permanent solution. You know, I understand that you're trying to stay within a seven thousand dollar budget, and I'm happy to tell you that <laughs> on Craigslist here in Richmond, you can get a 2011 Chevrolet Cruze. At CarMax here in Richmond, you can get a 2012 Fiat 500 Pop. There are all sorts of automobile options uh, that you can... Oh, actually, here's a $7,000 2005 Jeep Grand Cherokee. I've always had those. So far, of all the cars you'd named, I'd still rather have that monitor. Can you find a decent car? Yeah, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you you could finally get your dream car for $6,995, a 1997 Jeep Wrangler. Oh, great. I bet that, mm-hmm. that sounds reliable and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Totally elegant, too, yeah. You, you could drive on the beach, remember? Mm, yeah, yeah, with a permit I don't have that I will never get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I hear it's a lot of money, and but golly, I... Mm. If that LG breaks, you should just get a 4K monitor and use it. Like, you'll survive, you'll survive with limited screen space for a while. I agree. That in, you know, truth be told, I know that you don't particularly do the two-monitor thing, but at my jobby job, I had two... I think they were LG, if I remember correctly, two LG 4K monitors that were like 22 inches, something like that. And truth be told, like if you can get over the fact that you have two monitors on your desk, which for me isn't a big deal, it actually was really, really nice. They were both retina for all intents and purposes. And, you know, when you have two of them, you get a roughly equivalent amount of real estate as a a 27-inch 5K. Certainly in in a perfect world, I prefer a 27-inch 5K. But if you don't want to set $7,000 aflame, you can do this for like 500 bucks or something like that. Now, I'm sure you'll hate them for some reason or another, but I mean, it's another option. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the price difference is so vast. Like, it is kind of funny to think that I could I could get like six of these LGs for the cost of one of the six games. Yeah. <laughs> It'll annoy you six times as much. Maybe you could daisy chain all the USB things together to get enough power. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. All right. So one last piece to follow up. An anonymous Apple genius writes, when taking a product into Apple to be serviced, please just ask them to run the full service diagnostic suite available to all Genius Bar technicians. For this particular issue, we do have a cooling diagnostic that will assist with with determining the amount of spider eggs in the iMac Pro. The other two recommended diagnostics are FSD EFI and FSD OS. I'm assuming full service diagnostics for the uh, EFI, which is, what does that actually stand for? It's the BIOS, right? But what does it actually stand for? I don't know. Uh, something firmware interface, enhanced firmware interface. I've forgotten. All right, and then whatever the OS, I presume that's like a software thing. Uh, as we are technicians, we do rely on diagnostic tests to advise how to, how we proceed and have troubleshooting guides made available by Apple Engineering. 
On a personal note, I'm sorry for your previous experiences that have caused you to audibly groan at the thought of having to come see us, but I can assure you there are a number of us who are fans and supporters of the tech media slash influencers in your audience, and this individual said they they bought the ATPT with wheels, which means they are uh, the right kind of person. And (laughs) this person additionally says uh, suggests that we do find it discouraging, that the geniuses do find it discouraging to hear those we admire think so little of us. Uh, First of all, real-time follow-up, somebody added, I think, John, it's extensible firmware interface, so thank you for that, John. Second of all, I assumed your groaning was not about going to see an Apple Genius necessarily, but just about the fact they have to carry this stupid 27-inch computer on a boat to an Apple store, <laughs> but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, like for me, like the reason why I don't like bringing in my, my desktops for repair has almost nothing to do with the people I'm going to be interacting with. I've had almost entirely positive experiences there. Um, it's, it's all about just the logistics of getting it there and then the inconvenience of being without it for all the time in the meantime and then if i get it back and it's been you know wiped out because you know either because they restored it themselves or because they had to replace something that caused data loss like replacing the ssds or the t2 or whatever which i think is going to happen if they're replacing the logic board i assume then i assume that the t2 modules go with it um because of the encryption keys and everything so i assume i'm going to have an empty mac on the way home so that that's going to mean like not only did i have to bring it there which is an ordeal bring it home from there which is an ordeal but then also i i'm without it for probably two weeks at least and when i get it back i have to restore from everything and deal with all the you know little tiny nitpicks and paper cuts that come along with having restored a computer so you have to do it which takes a lot of time and then all the things that didn't have like that stored things in ways that don't that don't doesn't restore properly or like whatever all that i have to deal with for the, the next weeks after that so it's just it's just a big ordeal for my primary computer and and i'm not looking forward to to doing all that um and it's you know it sucks like i I depend on these computers and part of the reason why i buy things like the mac pro and the imac pro is that they tend to be pretty reliable over time and that decreases the chances that i need to do this another another part of the reason why i don't keep computers for like five six years usually is that i want to get rid of them before they need service uh, so I don't have to deal with this because you know, this, I'm running businesses here. I, I I can't afford tons of downtime, and it's just it's very costly to to have to deal with all this crap. So I want to minimize the time to have to deal with it. So it's nothing to do with the Apple people who are, who are largely great, um, and everything to do with just the hassle of doing all this. Finally, I wanted to um, clarify: a number of people have written in to tell me that they have some kind of you know, business service or Apple care service where they will send a technician to your house to pick up your desktop and, and take it away and service it and bring it back to you. And while that sounds fantastic, maybe, um, that only eliminates some of these problems. And I guarantee you they don't serve where I live. <laughs> these places, <laughs> once, once the steps to get here include get on a boat, I, I think that's where their service contract with Apple ends, and I think that's that's when they say, sorry, we can't serve your area. Speaking of new toys, and in this case, toys you've actually bought, tell me about your new Fancy Pants headphones. Are they your favorites? They're significantly better than I expected. Oh, well, look at now you're going to make me spend a whole pile of money I don't want to spend. So maybe I shouldn't ask you for details. Well, maybe not. So, all right. So here we are. I got my AirPods Max. I've had them for about half a day. And uh, so I can't give any useful information on battery life or obviously travel or anything like that. Um, 
Uh, but I can tell you how they sound. And I, I've, I was comparing them all day, listening to different music and comparing them to every pair of headphones I have in this house. Um, and so I have a, a number of opinions on comfort and sound and control and things like that. Um, so just some very quick uh, terms I'm going to be using a lot in this. I assume everyone's familiar with the concept of bass and treble. Uh, I'm also going to be talking about the mid-range a lot. The mid-range is what's between bass and treble. If you ever played with the mid-range control uh, or the, the middle part of an EQ, uh, you, you you know it kind of boosts like vocals and the kind of like middle uh, range <laughs> of the frequencies. Um, you know it's vocals, electric guitars, some instruments like pianos kind of like live in that range. So that's what I'm talking about here. Um, and then finally, I'm going to be talking about the sound stage, uh, which is an audio term for like how wide it sounds like the music is coming from or like how big of a room it sounds like you're in. Um, so anyway, moving on to the actual information here. Um, the first thing you notice besides the, the comical packaging and case and, oh my God, the case, it's, it's as bad as you think. It's as awkward and clumsy to get them in and out as you think. It, it, oh, no. it would not surprise me if a number of the people who buy these who aren't nerds and don't follow their reviews, mistake it for packaging and throw it away when they throw away the box. It reminds me of the case on the original iPad. Do you remember that one? That had like yeah. the seam, those pointy little seams and was made of that same cheap material? I had it. It was terrible. <laughs> remember they used leftover iPad 1 cases to make this case? Oh, God. Like this- <laughs> the, best th- the best thing I saw in one of the reviews is that when it's in the case, like they have a little notch cut out so you can see the lightning thing, like through that little slot, the little slits that are at the bottom, inexplicable slits to allow scratches to get in. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they made, they made, they didn't even line the slits up with the lightning thing, so they had to put a notch in the slit. But the notch doesn't always line up exactly with the lightning port that it's supposed to be on. It just, it's you know, it's just shoddy all around. Just doesn't like ill fitting, like a like an ill fitting suit. Yeah, everything about the case is as bad as you think it might be. It's it's a shame. It really is because it really puts a damper on this product in, in a pretty big way if it is indeed intended to be like traveled with in any capacity. Whether it's even even if it's just like, you know, to and from work or something. Like it's just it's not the the case is hilariously awkward and bad. It's both it's ineffective as a case. It's annoying to get them in and out like it's it's not good um so anyway you know we talked a lot about the weight and everyone was kind of worried the weight i actually don't think is that big of a problem for me in practice now granted these are not my heaviest headphones like my my big planers are like 500 grams so so these at 350 or whatever is is less than that um but they certainly are heavier than than most headphones that people will be comparing them to things like the the common you know noise canceling headphones for planes um, most portable headphones for like portable music walking around in, in fashionable ways in fashionable cities for fashionable people they're they're generally heavier than than those but i didn't really notice the weight as being a problem um comfort wise they do have a bit more clamping force like how hard they squeeze your head than i would like and part of that is just necessary because of the weight i I wish that was a little bit nicer the ear cups themselves leave a lot of room for your ear like compared to other headphones in this category so other you know small fashionable portable over ears not compared to like giant you know the flagship headphones from the big brands that now have all these like nice kind of raindrop shaped ear cups compared to those they're still small but compared to their category of like portable ish trendy looking headphones they do have surprisingly deep and roomy ear cups 
significantly nicer ear cups, or at least more spacious ear cups than the um, the Sony's and the Bose's that, that people will be comparing them to, and that I will be in a minute. The downside for the comfort for me is that the ear pads themselves are not super comfortable pads. Um, now, some of this ear pads do break in a little bit over time, and headbands do kind of stretch and loosen a little bit over time. So this the comfort might improve over time. But I think the major theme is going to stay the same here, which is that it's a little bit heavier, and that therefore causes a bit more clamping force on your head. And the ear pads are not that soft, and they're not that – they don't spread the weight over a very thick rim, if that makes sense. What makes super comfortable headphones super comfortable is, like, you can imagine the opposite. You can imagine if, like, the ear pads formed little, like, triangle ridges that just ringed your ear with the thinnest thing possible – like a like a piece of cardboard that would like that would be uncomfortable because it would be putting all the weight of them on a very tiny little circle around your ears. And then the opposite would be like some like giant thick rim, you know, looks like a fat tire kind of, you know, that kind of pad that puts a huge surface area against your head so it spreads the weight out. The AirPods Max are too close to the former. They, they don't have a wide enough ear pad rim to distribute the weight evenly. And so it ends up being uncomfortable primarily because of that, because of the ear pads themselves. Um, and the ear pad covering material, you know, on most headphones, it's either real or fake leather, some kind of, you know, vinyl or, you know, something like that. The ear pad covers here are this kind of almost rough fabric that's almost itchy. It's not particularly comfortable, and I would not, I would never describe it as luxurious. So if what they're going for is luxury materials, I think they've achieved the look but not the feel. Like, it does not feel luxurious at all. And there are other competitors, you know, Bang & Olufsen, as we mentioned earlier, um, and even the other noise canceling, like the, the, the Bose and Sony noise canceling models, have way nicer feeling ear pads uh, than these. And I think if Apple chooses to, they could dramatically improve the comfort of the AirPods Max with just different ear pads. And, they, and they're, they're replaceable. Like, you, they're magnetic. You pop them off in two seconds and put new ones on. So they could actually replace like re- or release revised ear pads for these down the road that could fit this i don't know if they will but they could and i think they should because that could dramatically improve comfort with a few design tweaks and maybe materials changes on the ear pads moving on to sound uh the airpods max is a headphone that is not afraid of treble now this is kind of a, a divide in the headphone world whether you want to hear treble response and treble detail or whether you don't whether you want it to be like you know quote rolled off treble sounds crisp and 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 sharp but it can be a little bit fatiguing for some people the the rolled off reduced treble sound is very popular among high-end headphones because it sounds like warm you know it's a very you know old radio voice warmth here but kind of not a lot of detail you know and the treble is like yeah right in your face you know so (laughs) so this has kind of been a split in headphone tuning for a while. Um, the Max likes treble. It, it gives you a lot of it. Um, this is, you know, if you're if you like Bayer Dynamic headphones or Hi-Fi Man headphones, this is for you. If you like the, you know, Sennheiser or Odyssey sound, this is probably not for you. Um, fortunately, I'm in the treble lovers group. I was going to say, I'm surprised you're you're going on about this because this sounds like it's made for you then. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's great. For almost any other headphone in this category, this is going to sound like too much treble. But if you've heard if you've heard headphones with good, well-done 
treble response, like my beloved HE6, it sounds, you know, right in line. Um, it's also, it's closer in line to what you'd get from, like, quote, fun headphones, <laughs> which I'll get to in a minute. Because um, what that involves, basically, is a sound that is not trying to be completely flat frequency response, but is aiming for something that is just a little bit more pleasing. Imagine if you had a bass and a treble dial. Imagine if you turned up the bass and the treble each a little bit. Not too much, but just give give them, give the bass and the treble a bit of a boost from neutral. And it makes it a little bit more live, a little bit, little bit more fun sounding to most people. That is what headphone people call a V-shaped sound signature. Because like if you imagine on the EQ, like the, the left is the bass and the right is the treble and they're boosted, but the middle's not. So it forms like a little bit V with the with the controls. These have that, but it's not like super aggressive about it. It's not really in your face about how much treble and bass it is boosting. You know, usually that kind of toning of a, of a headphone means the bass especially is usually really overpowering and that the mid-range is so withdrawn by comparison that the vocals are, are kind of hard to hear overall the bass like you know the, the vocals are almost withdrawn into the background um electric guitars are often you know falling into the background because the the bass is pushed so high the max does not have that problem it, it is it is a little bit v-shaped a little bit fun a little bit boosting in treble and bass but it's much closer to neutral than we usually get with that kind of boost and the mid-range does not feel buried or overpowered or withdrawn so mid-range is I, i'm a mid-range snob and what converted me to a mid-range snob was planar headphones. And, you know, the way headphones work, they have to move air somehow. And very quickly, I don't, I don't waste too much time on this, very quickly, they can move air by having this cone with a magnet that drives it forward and back, which is how almost all headphones work. Those are called dynamic headphones. Speakers usually almost all work that way as well. You've seen these speaker-shaped cones. It's in the volume icon. It's everywhere. Uh, a different way that some high-end headphones work is called planar magnetic or orthodynamic. It's the same thing. Um, and what they do is suspend a very, very thin diagram with some conductive trace on it between two grids of magnets. And by running current through the trace on the diaphragm, it, it induces motion with those magnets. And, and that's how they move. And what that results in is less mass of the thing that's moving than the typical like cone dynamic driver that you see in most speakers and headphones. And what that does, when you have less mass moving, it allows it to have usually, not always, but usually not only better bass response for, for reasons, physics and, and, stuff, and such, but also a more smooth frequency response. It doesn't have as many like weird peaks and valleys usually um, as dynamics, just because again, like the physics, when, you, when you're moving less, it's easier to better control how it moves. What this results in, in practice for me when i've tried most of these kinds of kinds of headphones planar magnetic headphones usually have much smoother mid-range and what i mean by smooth is it's kind of hard to explain but you, like you would know it if you heard it when you hear bad mid-range it almost sounds like the vocals are crunchy or like distorted in like a like a, a crunchy or, or kind of harsh way on your ears that's a very, very common flaw in cheap dynamic headphones. And that's one of the reasons why so many of them are tuned to boost the everything else and withdraw the mid-range because they can't reproduce it well. And so they kind of bury that in bass and hope you don't notice. I notice and I care. And the mid-range is my favorite part because that's where all the guitars and vocals are. And I'm a guitars and vocals person. So 
I want that to be awesome and smooth. And it's very unusual for a dynamic headphone, as opposed to the planar, to achieve a smooth mid-range. You love vocals and you listen to fish? And guitars, I said. That's where all, all the... All right, all right. I'm just saying, I feel, I feel like... The you... lead singer of Fish is Trey's guitar. And that is solid mid-range music, right? So, like, I, I care a lot about how electric guitars sound. And, yeah, because of that. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Like, I'm, it's funny you say that, John, because I, I don't want to make it sound like I think any of Marco's opinions are wrong, but it is important, listener, that you understand that Marco has a very particular kind of music and his preferences match with that kind of music, as your preferences <laughs> match with your kinds of music. And and I'm not saying that's bad or wrong or, or indifferent or otherwise. It's just I th- when you said it was planar headphones that got you to love the mid-range and treble, oh, no, sir, it's fish that got you to love that. It's just that planar headphones match it well. Um, and so for me, like, for example, and I don't have AirPods Max, I haven't listened to them yet, um, I tend to like, when, when I listen to music, I tend to be drawn to music that has, and I think we've talked about this like a year or two ago, I tend to be drawn to music that has a stronger like bass or rhythm section and drums than I am wowed by you know really strong guitars. It's not always true, but often true. And so for me, the kind of boominess that Marco would not care for, of course, everything has limits, but I, I think I would be more receptive to it because I tend to focus on that part of a band more than Marco does. And so none of this, again, Marco's not wrong by any stretch of the imagination. It's just if you're making a decision about whether to spend money on, what is it, $600 headphones, just consider that Marco's opinions are based on the on someone who, to his own admission, really likes a particular kind of music. And 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 if you'd like a different kind of music, take that into consideration. Right, and and I, I try to test with a lot of different tracks. Like one of the uh, like you know, if assuming you don't listen to Fish, uh, although they sell at stadiums somehow. But anyway, <laughs> you're all out there <laughs> no, somewhere. They're very popular. They're very popular. Uh, no one wants to. Wants, no one wants to admit it. It's fine. Anyway, but like you know, so like one of the bands I test with um, for all headphones that I test is the Avid Brothers, because I, not only are they one of my favorite bands, um, but also Avid Brothers their earlier stuff before they had like really fancy, expensive producers, um, their earlier stuff is a little bit more rough. And and I think, in my opinion, better for that. Like, it, that gives it a, a, a level of, like, personality and realness that, that I feel like gets sanded off a lot as, as they increased their production levels in later albums. But their earlier stuff, like, th- their, their voices are almost harsh and they're they go right up to that edge but they don't cross it if you're listening on good equipment and it sounds incredible to hear someone's voice that's almost too harsh but then just it's it's it walks right up to it and it just doesn't cross that line it's an amazing energy to hear they're like the early avid brothers records are murder on bad headphones because they will reveal every flaw in mid-range reproduction that a headphone can offer it's one of the reasons I use them as test tracks because not only do I like them, but like it's very clear when you have bad mid-range reproduction. The AirPods Max do not achieve the level of smoothness of good planar headphones, but they get damn close. And that is incredibly impressive. They're not the only dynamic headphone to get that close, but they're one of very, very few. That alone is worthy of praise like that that is it's very very good at not having that kind of crunchy sound not having any kind of weird distortion that i can identify in any obvious place like across the frequencies 
it it's just a nice, smooth, pleasant sound that is a little bit aggressive in the bass and treble to make it sound a little bit more fun. And honestly, I, that's probably not like a flaw. That's probably by design because that's what most people want. I'm very happy about the sound of these. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with open-backed headphones because open-backed headphones, they leak sound like crazy in and out. Uh, and so they're unsuitable whenever you're near anybody or any noise sources. Uh, but they usually sound way better. It's hard for closed headphones to sound good to somebody once they're accustomed to open headphones, because they just sound so much better. But there, again, there are a few models of closed headphones that I've ever tried that are that are really good sounding in absolute terms, not just like grading on the closed headphone curve. And the AirPods Max uh, are one of those. They are one of the best closed bag headphones I've ever heard, possibly even the best. And they're one of the best dynamic headphones I've ever heard. Again, possibly even the best. So sound quality, I am extremely happy with them. They don't beat my my favorite, you know, my HG6, but they really, they beat almost everything else I have in sound quality. Can you list those headphones, by the way, all the headphones that you tested against? I'll get there <laughs> in one moment. Uh, I do, before I, before I do direct comparisons, uh, I want to talk about control. Um, the digital crown we were talking about last week, I speculated that it was the same part as the watch. John, I believe you said it, was, it must have been much bigger. Uh, you were right. It is much bigger than the watch's digital crown. Um, that being said, because of like where it is, you know, and, and the fact that you're not looking at it as you're operating it, it actually feels a little too small still, and it feels a little bit fiddly as a volume control. And it's not actually great as the like primary button, which is like track skipping or play pause. It's not great for that either because because it's a, a digital crown. There's a lot of travel to push it in. And way more travel than, like, the regular button that's next to it to, to control the noise cancellation modes. And it's actually because, again, because of the digital crown, it's a little bit difficult to click it in without accidentally changing the volume slightly. <laughs> so I think I actually... Another button would have served this role better. And if they're going to only have a digital crown and one button, I would argue they should flip the roles of them. That pushing in the digital crown should be the noise cancellation toggle. And the much easier to press, much easier to double and triple click button that's right next to it should be the play pause and, and skip and everything. Otherwise, uh, we covered earlier, you know, the ANC has the same, you know, three modes, the transparency, you know, uh, ANC and off modes as the AirPods Pro. They work very similarly. Um, automatic head detection, which is basically what activates the uh, AirPods Max automatically when you put it on your head and it makes it take over the current audio playback route. Um, that works fine. It's also an option that you can turn off. One thing that I don't think you can turn off yet that I, that I hope they add the ability to turn off is the automatic pausing when you take it off your ear. For whatever reason, like, you know, AirPods Pro, it makes more sense. You're like taking it out of your ear. That kind of makes more sense. Um, but on this, sometimes I like got to like put my finger under the ear cup slightly to maybe itch my ear or something during a long recording. And if you do that with these, it, the audio pauses. <laughs> like if it's away from your ear at all, even just like to, you know, move a finger or maybe adjust your glasses or whatever, like it'll pause. And that's, that's kind of annoying. So I, I hope that becomes an option down the road. One of the good things about these headphones, speaking of all these things you're talking about, the buttons and all the different things that they perform is that I, my assumption is that all the buttons are essentially programmable and in that if they change their mind about what the buttons want to do or even something as dramatic as you just said oh let's switch the uh the noise canceling versus the crown button to do opposite functions that they could in theory do that because it's all software controlled right yeah as far as i know 
Right. And that leads me to a question that came up. Uh, actually, we should have talked about a follow-up, but we missed it. And I'm not sure you know the answer to this. Uh, maybe iFixit can know. Is, uh, is there any electrical connection between the ear cups? Like, is there a wire essentially going from the left ear cup to the right ear cup? Or are they essentially two completely independent little computers? Because there are two little H1 chips in there that like on your AirPods where there's no wire between them, they just communicate with each other and coordinate to be a pair of headphones together for you. Or is there actually a wired connection between them? Well, they have to be powered. So they, there has to be at least a power cable between the two. Maybe there's a battery in each one. Sure, but there, there's only one charging port. <laughs> so Ah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, so, so like uh, there uh, is a power cable between them at least. And I would I would guess like there there is probably a wired audio coordination signal between them as well. Because otherwise actually there would almost certainly have to be, because as I'm about to get to, the wired mode is indeed zero latency. And so and I, it, it would be nearly impossible to do that like wireless is sending it across your head without introducing any latency anywhere that would be that would be very difficult if not impossible so um at least doing it in the digital domain so that's that would be very unlikely so yeah it's it's almost certainly that they are wired together um just you know through one of the sides of the headband but anyway wired mode speaking of which yeah works great are you using them right now yeah are you using it now yeah no because the comfort is just not good enough for me for long long listening like uh, but I could, and, the, that, and that's the important thing. If I was on a trip or something, and I wanted to just bring, you know, a, a small, well, a, a well-traveling <laughs> pair of headphones, maybe this, maybe these aren't the right ones because of their stupid case. But, um, but yeah, I could bring these if I wanted to, and I could use the cable for that. The cable, like the the little, you know, the thirty-five dollar backwards wire, is kind of comical that it cost thirty-five dollars. Talk about luxury. This is the thinnest, crappiest feeling cable that I think I've ever seen Apple sell. It's so bad that had I not ordered it directly from Apple, I would assume it was counterfeit. Oh, like, delightful! It's so, because I'm I'm pretty sure, like I don't I don't I'm guessing that you know that this is only analog audio, so it's only three conductors. It, it doesn't even have it isn't even the uh, TRRS with the remote pin. It's only TRS, like the regular old three pin uh, or three conductor cable without the remote control. Um, so like it's, it's just, you know, those three wires in there and it is, it is such a thin, crappy feeling cable. It's also very short. It's only one meter. And so at a desk, it's too short. It, you know, if you're like plugging into a laptop on, on a trip or something, it's probably fine for that. Or if you're plugging it into something in your pocket for some reason, somehow, if you still have anything in your pocket with a headphone jack, um, then it would be fine for that as well. But it is too short for desks. Or plugging into a microphone directly if you're using it for podcast monitoring. Yes, exactly. Um, the cable does not have a microphone or remote on it. Um, you have to use those things built into the, built into the headphones. Um, it's also weird, too, that when you're using the cable mode, the headphones still have an independent volume control on them. So they don't just run at you know line volume level of whatever you're plugging it into. They have their own volume control that you have to turn up and down separately from the device you're plugging it into if you want to, which confused me at first. I thought they were broken because it was just super quiet. And I, it took me a while to figure out, oh, I should turn up their volume as well. <laughs> um, but anyway, so comparing it to other headphones. And just a quick thing, this is a very important thing to do when you're comparing audio quality or even comfort because it is so hard to remember how something sounds. Our brains play tricks on us. Our memory is not that good. And the only way to really compare headphones is to compare them like, 
side by side immediately like try this now quickly switch try this and quickly switch back and try that try to listen to the same thing same segment of the song on both like it's it's it trying trying to do this any other way trying to like do any kind of testing by memory or by comparing frequency response graphs like it it doesn't really work our brains are not good at that you have to do it this way and this is what i did so this is why i'm only going to compare it to headphones that i actually had with me and tested today also people talk about uh break-in or breaking in speakers and headphones and this concept that they sound better over time as they break in this has been disproven there's no science to back this up by anybody ever the headphones aren't breaking in your brain is breaking in your brain is getting accustomed to their sound profile so anything you get after listening to it for a while your brain is accustomed to it it might be doing a bit of correction uh and you know it'll sound good to you so that's fine um so anyway uh, and also note, as I compare this to the Sony noise-canceling headphones, that the current Sony model is the WH-1000XM4. I don't have the XM4. I have the XM2, two versions back. Um, it is very similar in most ways. Uh, the main things they've changed between the 2 and the 4 are they've switched to USB-C, and uh, they've changed some of the smart features and some of the available audio processing features. Um, but there's not much else that's different between them as far as I can, fo- as far as I can tell. Anyway, so... Uh, first, comparing them to full-size wired headphones, which is not a fair comparison in many ways. But you know, my my beloved Hi-Fi Man HD6, my my big flagship, my my favorite headphone of all time. It has it's open-backed. You know, it's it's not. This is not a fair fight at all. The, you know, the HD6 is first of all discontinued many many years ago. Uh, cost twice as much. Wired open-backed requires ridiculous amps to supply enough power to it um but uh you know it does the hc6 does sound better but not as much better as i would have thought for all those all those trade-offs um the hc6 did did you try the airpods max with a wire for the audio as to try to compete to to remove the bluetooth factor i tried it both ways i did some of the testing with the wire and some without honestly i could not tell a difference bluetooth as as a codec and as a thing like audiophiles argue about this all the time about what what it does to their sound quality the reality is it's complicated there's been multiple bluetooth codecs over time multiple codecs that that different devices support if you're using like the old a2dp codec it does indeed sound kind of crappy with with good enough headphones like you you can hear the difference um but no, no no modern headphone communicates that way um the the android and sony camps uh, for a while, used something called Aptex, which was like a higher-end codec. Apple has always used AAC. So they're simply, as far as I can tell, they're still doing this, simply encoding on AAC on the device, sending it over the air as AAC, and then decoding in the, in the headphone. Uh, they've done that for a long time now. Whatever they're doing is at a high enough bit rate that it's pretty transparent. I, I cannot tell a difference. Anyway, um, I, I compared it to my current closed headphone favorite, the one I'm using right now, the Dan Clark Audio Eon 2 Closed. Eon 2 is way more comfortable. It's just, it's a, it's a huge headphone. <laughs> like, it's one of those teardrop-shaped ear cup things. A massive headphone, huge, comfortable pads. Uh, but it's also, the Eon 2 is tuned for one of those warm sound signatures with, with relatively weak treble response. I actually, enjoy, I actually thought the sound from the Max is more fun because it has that increased treble. Um, but the Eon 2 is, is a little bit smoother, has you know more refined mid-range and everything. But anyway, moving down the price range a little bit, the wonderful, venerable headphones that I think Casey's probably wearing right now, the Bear Dynamic DT770 Pro. Mm-hmm. The way they sound, the tonal balance, you know, treble, bass, everything like that, is actually very similar to the AirPods Max. The DT770 has a you know V-shaped 
EQ curve kind of it boosts treble and bass a little bit. Um, but the 770's bass is a bit weaker. The treble is a bit stronger. And the mid-range is very slightly more crunchy on the 770. So overall, a surprisingly similar sound. Of all the headphones I, I tried it against, the DT770 sounds the most similar to the Max. But the Max sounds like a slightly better, a bit smoother and a bit more refined I mean, a bit better balanced version of the DT770. So it actually sounds significantly, you know, or it's, it sounds better, but it, like if you, if you, you have to like try them back to back to really even notice most of the difference. So it's basically a wireless DT770. And I consider that a very good thing. At like three times the price, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's wireless. It has noise cancellation. Like I wouldn't want to travel with my 770s. I have, but it's not fun because they're so big and bulky. Um, but certainly like for, for, you know, at a desk, you know, the 770s put up a, a pretty good fight. Um, now compared to the AirPods Pro, the AirPods Max have a worse transparency mode. And I don't know if this is just the physics of, you know, having these cups that sit over your ears that don't quite maybe seal as, as uniformly or as evenly as the AirPods Pro, which are, which are going partially in your ears. Um, and the AirPods Pro benefit from like having your ear itself as part of the thing that is, that is adjusting the noise on the way in, like the shape of your ear actually changes sound on the way in. And so over ear headphones where their microphones are outside of your ear don't have the benefit of knowing how your ear is going to shape the sound on the way in. Uh, whereas the AirPods Pro, the microphones are like partially in your ear. And so they are getting some of that ear processing that your ear is doing on the sound. They're getting some of that on, on the way into their microphone. So they're able to have, I think, a better transparency mode as a result. Transparency on the Max, honestly, is not very good everybody everybody loves it all the reviews are saying wow transparency mode is amazing and i'm hearing these reviews from people who have used the airpod pros right so it's not like people who have never been in the apple ecosystem and haven't tried the other apple products so that's a little bit surprising but you know what makes me think that what apple needs here is to talk to the sony folks because what you want is your own personal head related transfer function <laughs> yes so oh that knows gosh. the shape of your ears and because the airpod max doesn't know the shape of your like you, you, you know exactly like the actual sound landing on your head is hitting giant aluminum cups with pinholes in them right, right. <laughs> it is not it is not bouncing around in your ear and so apple probably has some sort of best guess standardized head related transfer function to try to make transparency sound more or less normal, but the AirPods Pro have your literal actual ear there. Yeah, and and to be clear, like the AirPods Pro transparency mode totally destroys the Boses and the Sonys. Like, <laughs> it's not even close. But the AirPods Pro is a little bit better. Like the transparency on the Max, I was able to notice it sometimes, whereas I use it all the time on on the Pro, and I I almost can never like notice artifacts of it whereas on the max they're they're actually pretty clear um like you you can't forget that you're using transparency mode on the max whereas on the pro you can that's how good the pro is and the max is close but it's not quite there um also compared to the pro the max just sounds way better you know it's much larger soundstage stronger bass much smoother mid-range the airpods pro sound very good for what they are but in this case, physics wins, and and the Max sounds way way better. Um, but that's to be expected. I sure hope so for that for the price difference. Uh, moving on to uh, one of the most commonly recommended alternatives, the Bose Seven Hundred. This is the this is Bose's current flagship uh, noise canceling headphone. 
very similar overall size. Uh, it's a very similar bad folding where they only fold down, they don't fold in. Um, but Bose has like a normal case, and that is far more useful if you're going to like throw it in a travel bag or something. Um, Bose also has significantly better comfort. Uh, overall, out of all these headphones I've tried, the Bose is my favorite for comfort. Um, just barely edging out the Sonys. Uh, the Sonys are also excellent, but the Bose has, has a bit of an edge for me. Um, Bose has noise cancellation that I think is a little bit stronger. Uh, you can also adjust how much it is from zero to 10. Like it's, it's very adjustable. It's very nice on the Bose. Um, it has useful voice prompts. Like when you connect a device, the Bose says connected to Marco's iPhone. Um, Sony's actually have a similar feature. Um, it tells you like noise canceling 10 noise canceling five. It'll tell you battery 57%. Like it announces that all in the ear cups, which is uh, just a nice feature. And, Apple has the tech to do that, obviously. They choose not to. They choose to just like play tones instead and have you look at your phone for a lot of this info. Um, I wish Apple would go a little bit more in this direction. It, it, th- that's a very useful feature in practice when you're actually using these actually traveling. The way that would manifest is, is you would hear this voice. Just a moment. Just <laughs> yes. a moment. I'm working on it. I'm sorry. I couldn't connect <laughs> to your device. <laughs> so true. That's the main voice I hear in my house when Apple speaks to me with a, with a voice. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, my Bose love fest ends when it comes to talking about the sound. Um, Bose has the worst sound in the group by a mile. Uh, it's not even close. Um, talking about, like, a crunchy mid-range, Bose is the worst. I- I- I'm pretty sure Bose's audio engineers don't listen to any music with vocals. I don't know how they would possibly think that that sounds okay. Uh, it's terrible. Mid-range is the worst. Treble response is significantly weaker than everything else. Yeah, by far the worst sound in the group. Um, but that being said, on planes, that isn't actually that big of a problem. Anyway, compared to the Sonys, WH-1000XM2 is the one I have. It's very similar to the 3 and 4, um, and the, the MDR-1000X, which is the 1. Sony has, by far, the best folding, the best travel case. They have excellent comfort, the ear cups are a little small. They could be a little roomier, but overall, excellent comfort. Sony has my favorite ear pads, like just like how how like soft and pliable and, and how much they spread the weight. They just are awesome. The Sony's to date, like before I, at least before I got my AirPods Pro, the Sony's were my headphones of choice while traveling. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't use them in normal circumstances, but like on planes, I would, I would go for those instantly. Sony has a much bass heavier sound. It's kind of, it's a little bit too boomy on the bass, a little more crunchiness in the mid range and a little weak on the treble response, uh, compared to the AirPods max. Um, but way better sound than the Bose. Like the Bose, you play it and you just are sad. Like you can't believe like, oh man, I'm, I'm really doing Neil Young a disservice here (laughs) playing his music through this right now. Whereas the Sony's would know. know. (laughs) So God, I forgot about that. (laughs) Whereas the Sony's are like, okay, yeah, I think, I think Neil would be mildly okay with this. Whereas yeah, the Bose, you're just like, you're, you're sad. He's sad. Everyone's sad. Uh, the, the Sony has a pretty rough transparency mode. There's just like a constant hiss that you hear. And it sounds like, it sounds like you're listening to the world through an intercom. Like it's not good. Um, but otherwise Sony is, is very good overall, a great all arounder. I think if you need noise canceling headphones and you don't want to spend the AirPods max premium and you don't want AirPods pro to serve that role, just get the Sonys. There's a reason everyone recommends them. They they really are like great all-arounders. 
they're not amazing at any one thing except for the the folding and everything. They're not, they, like they they're not super amazing, but they are really good at everything. How is the the noise canceling on the Apples? I've heard a lot of people say that people who find the noise cancellation on Bose and Sony's a little bit oppressive, where they get it feels like there's this pressure in your ear that somehow the Apple ones were less pressure. Although obviously, if the Bose one has an adjustable adjust, adjustability for the noise canceling, maybe you can dial that down. But how did you feel the noise canceling was in terms of ability to cancel noise, and if you're one of those people who feels that sort of pressure effect? It's hard. So I, I am one of those people who has historically not liked noise cancellation that much. Um, that was like with some of the older ones, like the Quiet Comfort Thirty Five Two and stuff like that. I didn't like those as much. Um, ever since the era of the Sony, you know, One Thousand series, uh, I've I've liked it when I'm on planes and uh, and similar AirPods Pro. I have found to be fantastic for noise cancellation because like it's not too much it doesn't feel or sound unnatural to me same thing with the sony the bose i don't keep at level 10 i keep it at level 5 and that's i found that to be okay when i used it um the airpods max seem overall with noise cancellation they they it, you know again this is hard to test because i'm not flying anywhere right now um so it's hard to test but i tested it like you know tiff was vacuuming in the other room and so i kept switching between all these headphones like the vacuums going and i like played a podcast out of a speaker also nearby to kind of see how it would, how it would you know compare to that and and overall <laughs> um it's very similar sounding in noise cancellation to the airpods pro i expect it to be much stronger and I think it's a little stronger, but it's not a it's not a massive difference. Um, but as for like the the unnatural feeling, in my again limited testing so far, it seemed fine. Uh, I think if you're okay with the way the AirPods Pro do it, you'll be okay with the way these do it. Finally, what would I use this for? Like, <laughs> what like what wins these battles? And you know, compared to like what would I use at a desk? I really enjoyed listening to music on the Max at a desk. Uh, and and if I walked around listening to music, which I don't, I walk around listening to podcasts. But if I walked around listening to music, you know, maybe. But at a desk, it was fantastic. I loved the Bluetooth integration. If I was going for like a more minimal setup to like get rid of my desktop headphone amp and get rid of the wire and just have wireless headphones that I listen to, like, or if I if I like was going to an office and I wanted something for the office uh, that and I didn't want like a big setup there, then maybe. Uh, the problem for me though is that they don't offer all day comfort. When I'm listening to them, they feel great, but every time I would listen for a while and then take it off, it would be kind of a relief that it was off my head. And that's not good. It's The comfort is not good enough. Ideally, if you're going to have headphones at a desk, you're probably going to be there a while. And if the, in that case, you probably want something that has better long-term comfort, you know, like like the DT770 or the Eon2, or if you want to go wireless, probably the Sonys uh, for that use. And I think there's a reason why so many tech people, probably many of you listening to this right now, use the Sony headphones all day at work when, you know, when that's a thing. Because they're just, they're comfortable. If you need noise cancellation all day at work, which I've never been a fan of, of using it that often, but many people do, the Sonys are probably where you would go for that as well. Because again, they just they, they are better for long wearing comfort. If the AirPods Max had better ear pads and and a little bit better, maybe a little bit lighter weight, a little bit better ear pads, they could take over that market. But the comfort is just not there. Wasn't one of the rumors about the AirPods Max is that the production of it was delayed a little bit because they were uh, the headband was a little bit too tight and they needed to loosen it up as a manufacturing sort of adjustment? 
Yeah, we heard that. I mean, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to know whether any of that, any of those rumors hold any water. But I mean, but I think we heard that before anyone had warned them. So it doesn't seem like that is a rumor, is a reaction to people trying them and thinking they were a little uncomfortable. It was like before anyone had even touched them, that was a rumor. So it makes me wonder if there was some sort of comfort adjustment stuff going on. What I'd really like to hear is the explanation of the case. Like, how did we get that? Yeah. But <laughs> what uh, happened there? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so at a desk. They're, they're a, a good option for sound quality and for the integration with the OS and everything. I just wish they were more comfortable for long wearing. Um, while I'm walking around, I'm going to pick AirPods Pro every time. They're, they're pocketable. They're less conspicuous, if that matters to you. Um, I, like, I even, even like for the conspicuous angle, I, wouldn't even, I don't think I'd even want to wear the Maxes like on a Zoom call or something because I would, it would just feel conspicuous to me. AirPods Pro also for walking having the better transparency mode matters to me. I'm always using transparency with them while walking. Uh, and the Pro are also, you know, less sweaty in the summer. They fit under hats in the winter. It's it, it's wonderful. The AirPods Pro are great for walking, and I don't think the Max is going to change that for almost anybody. Um, on a plane, what would I use? Guess what? I'd use the AirPods Pro still. Because sound quality matters far less on planes than comfort and like travel practicality, travel logistics. So the Max having this amazing sound quality, that doesn't matter so much on a plane. And all the Max's big disadvantages, like the long wearing comfort, the terrible case, those are the highest priorities on planes. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I feel like the the case situation and the comfort situation on the Max really cost it that market uh, pretty big time. And so I would not pick it on a plane. I would continue bringing my two pairs of airpods pro <laughs> sounds like you would not use these things in a box you would not use them with a fox you would not use them here or there you would not use them anywhere does that mean anywhere. tiff is getting a pair of blue headphones i don't know well, I, I don't know if she likes them yet we didn't have time for her to test them today yet but it, it's just it's a shame i really want so badly to like these because i love the way they sound i really very much enjoy their sound but i have a hard time thinking when i'm going to use them you know, so I, as for like whether I'm keeping it or returning it, or I, the answer is I don't know yet. I wish they were more comfortable, and I'm going to try wearing them a little bit more. You know, we're in the holiday extended return period now. I think I can return them up till January 15th or something. I'm going to wear them a lot over Christmas and and just kind of see like you know, does it break in? Do the ear pads get a little bit softer? Does the headband loosen up a little bit to matter? I don't know, but ultimately I. I hope I can make these work because I do love the way they sound, but the comfort has me concerned enough that I, I think I don't I wouldn't give it a high chance. So let me take a different approach at this. Who should be buying these? Like what do you think the AirPods Max are best suited for? Well, ultimately I think try them. And if they're comfortable on you, great. Like, you know, headphone comfort varies because people are different. We have different shaped heads. We have different shaped ears. We have different preferences. We have, like, it. it, it some people are going to probably find them comfortable enough. Some people aren't. Comfort is going to be the biggest limiting factor once you get past the massive price and terrible case. But, like, again, they sound great, and they function pretty well in most ways. I I wish I could wear them more often but but ultimately the comfort is is a pretty big problem for me but again i'm just one person they might be comfortable on you i don't know so all i can say is go into it with you know with that potential warning in mind that the comfort might not work for you or it might and see if it works for you and if if it works for you good you know more power to you 
It sounds like the target market is someone who values audio quality. So all, right away, you're willing to spend more money, even though these are only, you know, marginally better sounding than, say, the DT770s, right? Um, and maybe doesn't like things in your ears, which I don't like. So that, that rules out the, the AirPods Pro, right? And so that's, you know, like if you if you're in that realm and you're like, well, I'm not super bargain conscious. I don't like things in my ears. I do like the sort of wireless experience and I want them to sound really good because the only ones that, of the headphones that you listed that you said you like the sound of better are the way more expensive open back, which is a totally different category. You're not going to use that in an office, right? Because it costs loans. So I don't even use it in my office most of the time. Right. And, and it mostly rules out travelers because of the, all the travel issues or whatever. So, yeah. So, I mean, like the thing I was afraid of with these headphones is that everything we had previously surmised about them would be true and the sound quality would just be like meh. Right, but it sounds like the sound quality is better than meh. So now they do have, they do have a place in the market. Maybe not a place for Marco, who you know has got his green eggs and ham thing going on because he's got too many other headphones, and, and he's got other <laughs> headphones that he already likes for the other purposes, right? But most people don't already have like their three favorite headphones for different contexts. Like Marco, you know, he's got the AirPods Pro for walking the dog and for being away from his desk, and also on a plane, which is weird, but that's what he likes. And for at the desk, he's got his fancier you know open back ones when no one's around or whatever so this thing doesn't have a place in his life but if you have zero over your headphones or you have just let's say you'd have just the bose ones for an airplane these sound like again if you're willing to spend tons of money for something that sounds good this could fill the role in your life where i want to listen to music on headphones without disturbing people and i want that music to sound really good and i'm an apple user yeah basically but only if the comfort works for you and only if the price works for you and that's those are two pretty big ifs yeah I mean, I mean, the, the comfort, I think, is also part of the context of comfort is how long do you expect to be wearing them? If you're going to be, you know, in the olden times at your desk all day long and in a stupid open office where you have to wear them for eight hours, comfort is super important. But if you're just going to wear them, you know, to listen to some tunes while you fiddle on your computer for 45 minutes, comfort, maybe you maybe you're more flexible on that. Right. Maybe, you know. Maybe it's not as big a deal that after three hours they start weighing on you. Right. And the magnetically attachable headphones thing that makes me i mean it's probably gonna be expensive but surely there'll be knockoff third party something or other earpieces because that's a, as i found out when i'm looking for earpieces for my dt770s there's a big market for replacement ear things for headphones and this sounds like a gold mine because if you can just make some knockoff ones that sort of kind of fit in there with the magnets and charge everybody a ridiculous amount for them someone's gonna you know buy the leatherette or plush velvet uh, replacement ear cups and and the good thing about them is they'll be way easier to replace than on your average headphone where you got to do that stupid thing with the little flange rim and you're trying to carefully <laughs> put it around yep. like yeah some headphones are better than others some actually do have a mechanical thing but these are super easy you just yank these things off and throw other ones on and if it turns out that that is your main comfort issue scratchy fabric or and nut doesn't distribute the weight and you get a pad that is a nice fabric or a leather that has a bigger contact patch and tire parlance Maybe that solves the comfort problem for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope that kind of thing develops. Like, I, I hope there is some kind of ecosystem for third-party ones. But I don't know that there will be. I mean, I thought there would be a lot of third-party AirPods Pro tips, and there really aren't. There's at least one brand that we keep hearing about our friends uh, recommending for the AirPod Pros. What are those? Uh, the foam uh, AirPod Pro tips? Yeah, I know what you're thinking of. I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, so we'll see. But, yeah, ultimately, I, I'm impressed 
in so many ways by parts of this product and and other parts just seem so bizarrely unimpressive. Yeah. The thing I was thinking about when in between these two shows when we talked about this, like, is that I was thinking about the fact that we spent an entire previous episode talking about a product that none of us had and then people were like, oh, how can you talk about it? You don't even have it. But there's this phenomenon. It, you'll experience this if you ever work for any company that releases anything to the public or in general and puts anything out to the public. When you're working on a thing, whether it's a software product or a real world physical product or whatever it is, you're like you're you're on a small team or even if you're in a big company, but there's a finite set of people who's working on this thing and you're doing your best you can. You're trying to make it the best you can within the time and the budget and you're thinking about all the different features and the things that it has or whatever. Um, But you're only 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, however many people you are. And you have weird, like weirdly aligned objectives. If you're a manager, if you're, you know, a a developer, if you're a product marketer, you're looking at it from your perspective within the context of the people making this thing. It's true of movies, true of podcasts or whatever. And when you put it out into the world, you know, the reason the wisdoms of crowds is like we make fun of that saying, but the reason it's a saying is because you put it out into the world and it takes like 39 seconds for out of the 2 billion people that see it, if you're Apple, because, you know, you put out something and everybody sees it, a fraction of a percent look at it and immediately say, oh, uh, well, here here are some three obvious problems you think. That case is terrible. The thing should fold tighter. Your competitors fold tighter. Why doesn't it come with a cable? Like, how many people, you, if you heard us say it last week, how many other places did you see that? You saw it on Twitter. You saw it on every tech website. You saw it on every review, right? How is it that Apple developed this product in-house for months or years and either didn't know about this or didn't think it was that a big deal. And the second we get to see it, not even touch it, reviewers don't even have it. We just look at it and you can just look at it with your eyes and go, oh no, what's going on <laughs> with that case? Because you, you can look at it and like we did last show, say, here's my knowledge of the existing market. Here's how that thing looks like it works. And I can imagine it has problems and lo and behold, people get them and they all say that. And you might think, oh, Apple's so dumb. Don't they know the thing that everyone else immediately realizes that's wrong with their product? But I can tell you as someone who's produced things to put them out to the world, the answer is sometimes no. Like you're you're just so, you have such a different perspective on it when you're making it. Uh, very often you can convince yourself that one thing you think is super important and the other thing you think is not that important and you get it wrong because you're a small set of people with a limited perspective and the wisdom of crowds is as soon as you put your product out into the real world, if there's some stupid thing about it, They'll find it before they even touch your product. Uh, and, you know, obviously the better you are at it, the fewer are those that you have. And it's great when you nail it all on the first try. But there's a reason there are revisions and iterations of products. So, you know, we look at this headphone and we go like, Apple, before we even release that, uh, I'm going to let you finish. But let me tell you <laughs> the, the five things that are wrong with those headphones. Maybe wait and revise. Like maybe include a hard case. Maybe include that cable. Maybe ditch whatever that case thing is or whatever, Right. Um, it's so easy to sort of armchair quarterback that, but that, like, that's how we judge a product, right? How many things did they get right? How many sort of unforced errors did they make? And it sounds like these headphones, like a, a, a lot of the things that Marco was talking about that he really loved, surely people spent a huge amount of time getting that right. Doing the dynamic EQ and the sound stage and adjusting it so that it essentially sounds to Marco like it is a nice V-shaped EQ of you know, whatever it's doing, whatever computerized crap that it's doing, they probably spent so much time on that because they're like, this is our number one priority. And maybe they spent less time in the case, right? <laughs> maybe they didn't think too much about that. Or maybe there was some other thing that was, you know, like, and even though these flaws are obvious to us, that like when you're working on it, you're like, but we did so good on the sound. And we're like, yeah, yeah, but... 
<laughs> if if the whole world looks at your product and can immediately see a couple of big problems, you gotta you gotta work on those for the next revision. So I have hope, some hope that Apple will take what seems like fairly uniform feedback that like we appreciate the things that you did well here's some small areas where you can do better and come up with a rev 2 or rev 3 of these like all the other products you just described like the sony's have changed a little bit and the bows have changed a lot and, and you know sometimes for the worse but anyway uh feed this back in and come up with a second and third revision of these assuming this product is successful enough for them to have a second or third revision to just tweak the few things that are wrong and keep the things that are good about it and that can really elevate this from a product that has a, a very narrow appeal especially at the given price to one that is easier to recommend people with fewer caveats so marco i don't really know why you brought your imac pro to apple because clearly if you just uninstalled chrome all your problems would go away part, part of the magic of this program is that very often we put something into the show notes and if you just leave it there long enough without getting to it because you're talking about other things, <laughs> the story develops and sometimes even almost resolves itself on its own. And I, here I think this topic benefited from us not talking about it immediately because I think now we have more information than we did before. It's kind of like how like if you just don't answer email, most yep. of the need it for it just away. goes away <laughs> after a few days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this yeah, before we get to this. Yes, everyone, thank you for telling me about this. <laughs> I am aware. And, and while I think it was not the problem on my iMac Pro, because they did their firmware diagnostic and found that it's not software-related and that something is wrong with the logic board, apparently, with controlling its thermals, um, this might have actually been the problem with my 16-inch back. I, I, I did like a full OS restore, reinstall on my 16-inch a few months back, which was a huge pain in the butt because it was having... All the problems that uh, Lauren reports uh, that his 2015 or his wife's 2015 computer having of like, like just everything slow, like slow keystrokes, even like I was having bizarre problems on that and I could not figure out why. And unfortunately, I can't test this theory on that because I already got tired of it and blew it away and it didn't have those problems after I did an OS reinstall, but it was bad. It was, I've never had to do that on a Mac before or since like to solve a problem like that in that way. You, you mentioned Lauren. What we're talking about here, for people who haven't already been following this story, is Lauren Brichter, a developer, a famous developer of Tweety, inventor of Pull to Refresh, uh, generally a technically knowledgeable person, was having problems with his Mac. Uh, and he it turns out that uh, uninstalling Chrome and all of the crap that, that Google uses to control and update Chrome solved his problem. He made a website, chromeisbad.com. Chrome is bad is all one word where he describes his problem, he describes how to implement the solution, and has a bunch of testimonials from other people who had similar problems. And this this whole story set off just this big chain of people discussing it. Many people saying, I went to your website, I'm having similar problems, my computer seems slow, the fans run all the time, it's just generally crappy, I followed your instructions, I uninstalled Chrome, I uninstalled the Keystone updater that Google installs that, that updates Chrome behind the scenes, and it solved my problem. right? And then other people are like, okay, sure, but... Like, what actually is the problem, right? What symptoms are you seeing beyond my computer seems slow? And what is it about these steps that you took that solved that problem? And despite this story having been stewing for, what, a week now, two weeks, whatever it's been, we don't have a great solution, uh, answer to that question. I think there are a couple things at play here. One is 
this is revealing sort of the dark matter of, of computer dissatisfaction where people have Macs, <laughs> right? And the Macs are unsatisfactory in some way. They always run hot. The fan is always going. They always seem slow. Like they just, they're just unsatisfying in a way. Often and it's in a way that's a difference from a change. It's like when the doctor asks you, have you seen any change in your, you know, in your health like recently? They just want to know, like, is it different than it used to be, right? That the people don't expect it to be like this. Like Marco said, maybe typing is slow. And you're like, typing is slow? Like, <laughs> like what's going on there? Maybe you hear the fans all the time. You're like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's making the fans go. And maybe that's a change from previous behavior, right? So there's there's this dissatisfaction, right? And then someone comes along and says, I had similar problems in that they, uh, here is my vaguely expressed dissatisfaction on my computer. It seems slow, fans running all the time, right? Here's what I did. And it's like, install uninstall some third-party uh, program that a bunch of people already don't like for various reasons. And by the way, the final step of this cleansing is to reboot your computer. And if you do all these steps, it's like you have a new computer. Your fans don't run high anymore. Your typing is fast and responsive. Everything is snappy. And then a bunch of people follow those steps and write in and say, hey, I did that and it worked for me. And for, you know, for the people who did that, great. Like they presumably solved whatever problem they were having by doing this thing, right? Now, maybe three days later, the problem came back. You probably don't hear about it then, but right but at least there was some positive thing. But the question any technically minded person has is, okay, but what was the actual problem? And what was the actual solution? I can tell you now that sometimes when your computer gets into a weird state, as we all know, rebooting it, especially if you have your Mac configured not to relaunch all the programs that you were previously running, rebooting to the finder with no apps running and no swap in use, right? Wow, everything is like the fans are low. And everything feels snappy. Yeah, because you're not doing anything on your computer yet. Maybe after a week when you relaunch all your programs and compile everything and get four gigs into swap, maybe you're, you know, it starts feeling slow again, right? We don't know. What we want to look for is what is the cause? And Chrome being the idea like oh, I uninstalled it and that fixed all my problems, it's like, okay, but what was the actual problem? Now, I can tell you from personal experience, one Chrome-related problem I see a lot is Guess what? You've got a million Chrome windows, not on my computer, my wife's computer. Got a million Chrome windows. You would never have a million Chrome windows. I do, but here's the important distinction. None of those windows are showing Facebook in any form or a page <laughs> with crazy ads that go nuts. Like, you know, in the middle of the night, some tab in some background window, a background tab and a background Chrome window has some ad in it that decides, you know what? 100% CPU. Is it Bitcoin mining? Who knows what the hell it's doing? But it's it's always an Chrome itself has like a task manager inside Chrome to tell you which tabs are being naughty, which I feel like if you know which tabs are being naughty, like suspend them. And there's a Chrome extension that will do that for you and suspend all your background tabs. But anyway, I'll go there. I'll do that. I'll find the three Facebook tags that are, for whatever reason, are freaking out because some ad running in the sidebar is Bitcoin mining. And I'll close those tabs. (laughs) And then suddenly all the fans go back down, right? So that is a way that Chrome can be a culprit. If you uninstall Chrome, or if you simply don't run Chrome, you will never have an open Chrome tab with a crazy Bitcoin mining ad, right? Or just some web page that goes nuts and starts just grinding your CPU forever, and that will make your fans spin up and so on and so forth, right? So that's one thing that could be solving these people's problem. And by the way, Safari is way nicer to your battery, is way better on your CPU. If, you're, if you care about that at all, do not use Chrome, especially if you have a laptop and battery, use Safari. It is better on your battery than Chrome. The other thing is this Keystone thing that updates Chrome in the background for you. Some people say, look, I'm not even running Chrome, but Keystone is doing something terrible with my computer. The second I remove Keystone, 
everything got better. And one of the culprits they they label is the the window server, which is part of the Mac operating system. Its job is to like composite the various buffers that you see that make up the windows on the screen, right? That it would be using a huge amount of CPU, and they're like, I uninstalled Chrome and Keystone, and Windows Server CPU usage went down. Lots of people say that. Lots of people say that I, my computer was running hot. I'm not doing anything. I open up Activity Monitor and I see Windows Server taking 100% CPU. Uninstall Chrome and it solved that problem. Maybe, maybe it did. But again, as technically minded people, we want to know, yeah, but how? Like, uh, how did a program that's not running make Windows Server go nuts? And, and there's one theory, and this unfortunately is still on chromeisbad.com, I think. Let me just double check. Um, yeah. Something called Keystone, this is the top of the site, which bizarrely hides what it's doing from Activity Monitor. There's a, ooh, there's a footnote now. What does it say? You know, hiding from Activity Monitor? Inconceivable. Trust me, I know computers. Correct. The Keystone updater process itself doesn't hide from Activity Monitor. It briefly shows up and disappears on schedule. That is not the issue. It is causing something else in the system to consume massive CPU that leaves no indication that Chrome and Keystone are, in fact, the culprits. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting theory, but you kind of have to say... But how does it do that? How does a program that runs briefly, and when it runs, it does not hide from Activity Monitor. It runs, it appears, and then it quits. The whole point is it's checking for updates. How does the act of running and then not running at all cause Windows Server forevermore to flip out? Is it plausible that that can happen? Sure. Trigger bug in the OS, call some private API that makes Windows Server freak out and go into an infinite loop? Could happen. But we don't know that that's what's happening yet. And there are many counterexamples, as in, Everyone else who's running Chrome, where key server, the Keystone thing runs periodically on its own. And it doesn't make their Windows server freak out. I run Chrome 24 hours a day, seven days a week on my computer. Keystone presumably is running in the background. My Windows server never freaks out. Doesn't mean this bug doesn't exist, just means I'm not experiencing it. So the people who are experiencing it are, you know, getting this bug. They're getting unlucky. They have a problematic setup. The thing I haven't seen anyone mention yet, although if you do some Googling, you can find it. When Chrome auto-updates itself... At various times, it has done weird things behind the scenes, like archiving previous versions of itself and keeping state around about how many different versions it has updated from and stuff. Or it would fill your disk with old versions of Chrome or get its database of what versions it's dealt with corrupted and flip out about that. So I don't find it entirely inconceivable that the Chrome updater and all of its bookkeeping can end up getting into a state where the auto-updater itself does bad things or spins for a while or fruitlessly tries to get an update that it's never going to be able to get or otherwise you know spins its wheels um and one thing related to that, someone uh, installed uh, another chromium based browser i think it was uh, that was brave i think and their like new their default new tab page uh was making windows server go as nuts and if you turn on like the quartz debug uh thing which shows you screen updates you could see that the the default like new tab page in Brave was redrawing itself like as fast as it possibly could over and over and over again, nice. <laughs> which was basically asking Windows Server, hey, composite this buffer. Hey, composite this buffer. Hey, composite this buffer over and over and over again as fast as it possibly can. That if you ever see Windows Server going up in CPU, something is asking the Windows Server to composite buffers or do some screen related window compositing thing over and over and over again. And if you're looking at your screen, you're like, but nothing's happening. It's possible that some program somewhere maybe even something that's not even visible, is flipping out and doing something wrong that's causing the Windows Server CPU to increase, right? So, unfortunately, maybe we didn't wait long enough. This is not a particularly... We don't have a conclusion. No one knows what the actual problem is. No one knows if Chrome is involved at all. We do know that 
if you follow a bunch of these steps, it can make your computer feel better. So can just rebooting. So can just quitting all of your programs. So can logging out and logging back in, right? So can just not using Chrome and using Safari instead because Chrome in general is more of a CPU hog, right? But none of that is satisfying. Like we, people want there to be a culprit. It's because I had a problem. I took steps. The problem is gone. Therefore, the steps I took uh, exactly correlate to fixing the problem. Maybe they do, but with computers and with programmers, you kind of want to know, yeah, yeah, but why? But how? But what actually happened, right? What is the bug? Now, we don't know that. We don't have the source code to Keystone. And honestly, it's not our problem to figure that out. If there really is a problem with Chrome, it should be the Chrome team's job to figure it out, right? And there have been bugs in Chrome many, many times. There's bugs in all sorts of programs. But when it's a general malaise, as in my computer is unsatisfactory in some way, there are so many things that can be from spider eggs to malware to like just, you know, a bad tab open in Chrome to who knows what, like we've all had processes go awry or things freak out that are part of the operating system or third party software or drivers or a flaky USB device. Like computers are really complicated. So I am immediately suspicious of anyone pinning blame on any one particular thing, especially when they can't tell me what the actual problem is. Again, it's not their responsibility to tell me, but if you're going to conclusively say Chrome is the problem, uninstall Chrome and it will fix your computer. And if it doesn't, uh, I don't care because it fixed my computer. I don't know. Like, I'm not here to carry water for Chrome, even though I use it all the time and and I like it. Um, But I feel like this is an unsatisfying technical mystery. Like, the most satisfying ones are the ones where your computer is doing something weird and someone eventually figures out what the problem is. Uh, the less satisfying ones are my computer's doing something weird and I found a solution, but I don't know why it worked. And that's that's the situation we're in now. There is a problem. There's a vaguely specified problem. There is a very cleanly specified solution, but there is no explanation for why it worked other than that those steps I took, they must have stopped something from doing something that was bad. I know there's a lot of people who swear it's true, though. I mean, like, what can be true is I did the thing and my computer got better, but that doesn't the, the, that doesn't you can't jump from that to say therefore keystone is nefarious and doing something there but you can't even jump to therefore keystone has a bug we don't even know if keystone for all we know the windows server has a bug triggered by keystone doing perfectly normal things like if you don't know what the problem is you don't know where to assign blame yeah i mean that that explanation wouldn't surprise me in the least because i have like i, I haven't used big Sur for enough time to know if this is still true on big Sur, but for catalina I have never had a Mac OS version have as many problems as Catalina has in specifically this kind of area of like random performance slowdowns for no apparent reason that are solved by rebooting. And oftentimes, you know, correlating to background demons just going nuts for no apparent reason. Uh, like the other day, I posted a screenshot on Twitter, like about you know, like all the high CPU usage and the you know, the handful of Catalina background demons that were seemingly consuming all these things for no reason. And one of them was Dropbox. So everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Dropbox." Well, I I quit Dropbox, and a half hour later, those same system processes were still like spinning 100% CPU each. And so I eventually rebooted, and of course, the problem went away. And this is like. It doesn't matter. I don't. I don't know whose fault this is. I don't know. As you as you were saying, John, I don't know if this is like a bug in the OS or the a certain way that certain apps that I have installed, like whether it's Dropbox or Chrome or whatever, a certain way that they trigger bugs in the OS. I don't know, but it is a real problem, and these solutions do often fix it. And so, from from my point of view as a user, it's like, well, look, 
you guys figure this out. Like Apple, Dropbox, Chrome, whoever you are, figure it out amongst yourselves. This is your fault in some way, but it becomes my problem as a user, and I have to take measures to deal with it. I, we don't know, as you said, like we don't know enough to assign blame, but it does seem like there is a real problem here that many people face that is solved by removing Chrome. I mean, but there's a million problems that potentially solved by a million things, including sure. the rebooting, which is the final step. Like, so we don't even know if it's just one thing. Like, like you said, if if it's if it's an OS level problem, like it, this, there's a little bit of the doctor hurts when I do this, then don't do this thing. It's like, well, <laughs> uh, when I use my computer, occasionally background demons freak out and cause high CPU load. It's like, well, just don't use your computer. You won't have that problem. Like. <laughs> You know, it's like if you think it's some piece of third-party software and you stop using that software, but then it happens again, what do you do? Well, I'll just stop using my computer. I'll just stop using Finder. I'll just stop using a web browser. Like when there are OS-level bugs, especially if those OS-level bugs are tri- triggered by completely valid, normal, non-nefarious application behavior, any application you run can potentially trigger that bug, whether it's Discovery D freaking out and not looking up names or whatever. Like that's the nature of OS bugs, and they will manifest essentially no matter what if there's just one program triggering it and chrome triggers it but like brave or edge don't or safari doesn't then yeah you solve your problem by saying it hurts when i do this okay well don't do that don't use chrome use something else right but you still don't know what the actual problem is the the thing about like dropbox and stuff is it's somewhat satisfying to at least have a plausible theory uh dropbox to know when things happen on disk has to monitor changes in the dropbox folder and there are a bunch of apis for doing that but one of them is essentially to drink from the FS Events fire hose, which is just like, look, uh, you know, Apple operating system, just tell me everything that happens related to the file system, and I'll figure out whether I care about it or not, right? Uh, and doing that is expensive because if you do something that does a lot to the file system, say expanding Xcode, which creates a bazillion files, every single one of those bazillion files is firing off an FS event and Dropbox is there running and saying, oh my God, look at all these events. Do I care about this one? No. Do I care about this one? No. Do I care about this one? No. And that burns CPU. And so when you're running Dropbox and you're expanding Xcode and you see your CPU usage going up and then you try that same process with Dropbox not running and it gets faster, you have a plausible, somewhat provable theory of what's happening because you can run S-Trace on Dropbox when you're expanding Xcode and watch it calling the FS events. Like, that is much more satisfying. When it's just like, my computer does weird things and I can't figure out why, it can be so many things. And that's why the sort of, the anecdotes of, I followed your instructions and it made it better is very much like, I mean, you can make up any instruction. Stand on one foot, touch your nose, and reboot your computer. And it's like, oh, everything got better. <laughs> well, yeah, rebooting your computer fixes a lot of problems. It's not uns- it's not very satisfying, but it's true. But if I tell you to do anything before you reboot, or let's say you don't reboot, just quitting programs solves lots of problems. Because if you quit the program that was causing a problem, or that one program was using a lot of memory, it put you in- pushed you into swap, and that was your problem. Everything got slow because it's swapping, right? Even though you have an SSD, swapping is still bad, and you can get into a bad way. Like, people aren't equipped and shouldn't be, have to be equipped, to diagnose their computer any more than they know what that weird noise is under the hood of their car, right? They just know that something is wrong, and that's why you take your car to someone who knows, or you hope, like, Apple or the developers figure out how to make it so there aren't problems. But anytime someone comes up with, like, a, you know, try this one weird trick to fix your computer— the chances of that one weird trick being the, the solution to everyone's problem is very, very low and more likely li- literally doing anything to your computer to, to perturb what you were doing before. Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Stop doing that. Hey, it solved my problem. So I, I don't like the idea that people 
are thinking this was the solution. I do like the idea that people are having a better experience with their computers, but we won't make forward progress in our computers getting better unless somebody is able to figure out what's going on, right? Like Apple figured out, hey, Discovery D, not so good. We got we to gotta, we gotta fix that. If instead Apple's like, oh, I don't know, it's just some vague problem, we can't figure it out. It had to be pinpointed. It had to say, this is the thing that's wrong because when I swap it for the old thing, all of a sudden my whole computer gets better. And it's not because you're running a web browser and it's not because you're doing this. It's because there's an OS level component that's hosed, right? That's the solution I want to see or explanation, right? Either someone's using a private API, someone's doing something to trigger a bug in the OS, but someone has to figure this out. And just not running Chrome, the world's most popular web browser, I think, it's probably not the best solution. So either Chrome's got to figure it out or Apple's got to figure it out or someone's got to figure it out. So I really hope all the people who are following the instructions that I think are on this website or at least tweeted of like how to provide diagnostic information to the Chrome team. The Chrome team is like, look, if you think it's us, like help us help you. We want to fix this too, but we need to know that it's us first. And it's a difficult situation because as Marco always says, like it's not his job to help Apple debug their crap, but... On the other hand, if nobody does it, nothing ever gets fixed. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Linode, Mac Weldon, and Flatfile. And thank you to our members who support us directly. You, too, can join at atp.fm slash join. Thank you, and we will talk to you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do Search Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss M-A-R-C-O A-R-M E-N-T Marco Armin R-A-C U-S-A Syracuse It's accidental You know, uh, in our super secret private chat, uh, copyright, uh, do by Friday, uh, Marco had said in exasperation a couple of days ago, you know, screw it, maybe I'll just go get an XDR. And it occurred to me in our super secret private chat, and I said to you, Marco, that you getting the XDR first and then saying, well, I mean, I have this XDR, I've got to get a Mac Pro to match it. That was not the route I expected you to take. (laughs) God, I I have never wanted more for Apple to just make the monitor I want. Like, there's such a giant hole in the market, especially now as they've just released these amazingly compelling laptops and Mac minis. And and there is not yet a similarly compelling iMac or Mac Pro. Like, so, like, everybody, like, so many people want to be using these brand new laptops and Mac minis as their desktops all of a sudden and the only option is either this terrible lg monitor or apple's seven thousand dollar monster i mean the only reason they all want them is because these are the only r Macs that are out and they're the low-end ones and i like i think everyone who's like I'm, I'm gonna use a fanless air as my main computer that that instinct that desire that whole thing is just gonna go away as soon as apple releases 
the presumably much faster, much better, much you know, much better suited to people's needs pro arm max and then and then you say hey i thought you were going to use your arm as your as your main computer like yeah but now the imac is out yeah and that's the thing like and i right now i am using my amazing little fanless mac mini as my main computer and you know there are some things about it that are not as fast as they could be but i think most of that is most of that feels like software problems honestly it doesn't feel like hardware there's still a lot of stuff that is that is not optimized for Apple Silicon that that I'm that kind of surprises me like like Dropbox they claim that it works but it doesn't like if you look at Activity Monitor it still says it's running Intel binaries um, one password and all of its subprocesses are still not um, I can't run Call Recorder at all for Skype because that's that's not at all compatible yet um, so there's like there's certain things about it that that are weird and not yet optimized I yes I am fully aware that. My own two Mac apps are also not optimized, but that doesn't really matter because they work fine. Wait, wait why, why aren't your two Macs, uh, Mac apps optimized? Why don't you just recompile them? Uh, Quitter, I could try. I haven't touched Quitter in so long. I bet it will be an ordeal to do it because now I have to deal with things like notarization and all that other stuff. Nah, it'll be fine. Forecast uses the, um, the MP3 encoding library Lame, uh, and I, and it, like, it uses one that's built from Homebrew. And so I, I kind of have to like... I think I assume I have to wait for that to be easily buildable on our Max, and it isn't yet, as far as I have. Do, does it does it run it in a separate process, or is it all in process? No, it's in process, but it's separately built di- a dilib. Yeah. All right. Well, that one's going to be a pain, but I think Quitter right. would just be a matter of recompiling. But it just doesn't matter. Like I, I don't even run Quitter anymore myself. Honestly, it's kind of abandoned. But uh, it's... you quit Quitter. <laughs> 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 yeah. But and forecast like forecast should matter, but in practice. You know, you're only running it for a few minutes here and there, and it's so fast anyway. And and Rosetta is so fast that in practice, it doesn't really matter uh, for that app. So once it once it becomes easy to support the encoding library on that uh, on Apple Silicon, then I will issue the update. But it isn't yet easy, and so it's not worth the trouble. I want to go back a step, though. I think even though I have used the LG 5K. Uh, briefly, but many times, because my dad has one. Um, I didn't find it nearly as offensive as you, but again, I've only been using it for 10 minutes at a time once, you know, once every month or two, so this is not extended use by any stretch. But despite that, and even though I don't find it to be that particularly terrible, it does kind of baffle me that Apple doesn't have something less than the Pro Display XDR. And I know we've been around this several times, but I just, I keep coming back to and thinking about, you know, and you guys have said this, other people have said this. One of the great things about Apple, in the same way like you with Coca-Cola, and I think John especially said this before, that, you know, the president is drinking the same Coke or Diet Coke that I'm drinking. And the president may or may not be using the same iPhone I'm using. And and yet Apple, in certain circumstances, is, in much to our request, is reaching into these ridiculous stratospheres where no normal human, other than John Syracuse, is buying a $7,000 monitor for his home computer. Like, why would you do that? That's ridiculous. And so I, I don't begrudge them having the Pro Display XDR because we told them we want professionals to feel catered. And they said, OK, well, here you go. You know, you're, now we're catering to, catering to professionals. That that kind of attainable, if if challenging level, that like I, I feel like Apple isn't fulfilling that in a lot of spaces right now, and that's very frustrating. And and 
in it, it's like Apple lost a little of that. I keep coming back to like prestige, and I don't know if that's the right word for it, but you know, Apple's kind of a prestige brand to some degree. You know, it's it's a brand that a regular human can reach out and grab on on a regular human income. You know, you don't have to be making ten million dollars a year to buy a really nice iPhone, and I it bums me out that. There's no reasonable Apple monitor for these computers that from from everything anyone has said are unreal. They're phenomenally great computers. They're bringing back, like I'm listening to my friends and I'm listening to press talk about these computers. And, it, and there's that like, I mean, it's not a glint in the eye because I'm, I'm listening, not seeing these people. But there's that verbal glint, if you will, that... This is this computing got fun again all of a sudden. It's not just incremental every year. This is like this is fun. This is this is brand new in a lot of ways. And yet we're mating it to these god awful displays <laughs> and it's just and it's just it stinks. And I and I guess it would be less offensive if the market as a whole catered to these needs. You know, if there was some $2,000, and it's not even about the money, but just for the sake of discussion, there's some $2,000 Dell monitor that had like a really nice enclosure and a really nice stand. I, I can still imagine you guys saying, well, ugh, it's still got the Dell logo on the front, or ugh, I don't really like that it's black and not gray, or ugh, it's plastic, not metal. But still, you know what? It's a great panel. It's a great monitor. So whatever. Not that big a deal. You know what I mean? That's exactly what I did. Like, and the, the problem is the the direction that the market went like for a while pre-retina and pre-high dpi for a while the pc monitor market and the mac monitor market was compatible and not only in like the technical sense of it will work but they wanted the same things and the high end was kind of the same or at least like it, it was a lot closer and and so for a like for before in the pre-retina days like what PC monitors wanted in the 24-inch LCD range was the same thing that Apple monitors wanted in the 24-inch LCD range. And then what happened was Apple went retina, multiplied everything by 2x, and the PC world didn't. And things have diverged in how each one of these worlds handles high DPI monitors, whether they even want them at all, and then what their priorities are. The PC monitor market is largely like either the absolute worst bargain basement crap for business buyers who who don't care and just need screens <laughs> or it's stuff targeted at gamers and gamers have very very different priorities like for gamers it's much more about high refresh rates and about yes high pixel densities but not as high as apple goes cuz those are harder to drive at high frame rates and and so the markets have diverged now and so now what apple users want and need and prioritize is not at all satisfied by what the PC makers are making to satisfy their market. So there's basically no one left to solve this need except either Apple themselves or in the case of like this LG monitor and many of their peripherals by say Belkin, some third-party manufacturer where Apple has basically like handed someone the parts and market to make the thing themselves that Apple doesn't really want to make. Um, like the, you know, obviously these LG monitors were designed with Apple's help, and and they're obviously there might even be a business deal to you know, where LG makes these for Apple as part of some contract because Apple wanted this to exist but didn't want to bother having to make and sell it and support it themselves. Um, so who knows how how that worked out? But clearly, like there was some cooperation between the two companies to make this. Same thing with all the stupid little adapters that Apple kind of 
co-makes with Belkin that Apple doesn't want to sell themselves. And yeah, so that's that's what happened with the monitors. And it's a shame because if the monitor situation was better, if Apple still did what they did forever, which is sell a good monitor in the, you know, 27 inch to 30 inch range for, you know, 1500 bucks, 1200 bucks, whatever it would be, that would be amazing. And the monitor that like and the panel that they could sell is what they've been shipping in the iMac since 2014. Like this is not new. This is it's not like the technology is just cutting edge and they can only fit it in an iMac. No. Maybe that that might have been true in 2014, but it's not true now. Because obviously the LG can make it. So <laughs> obviously Apple can make it too. And it's just so frustrating that they're just choosing not to. Like I, I like what you said about like you know they they are leaving these huge gaps. I've always, I've always, I've kind of thought when looking at certain products, you know, when looking at the AirPods Pro Max for sure, uh, when looking at uh, certainly the Pro Display XDR, the Mac Pro, uh, and even you know like their accessories business, like the, all the the weird super expensive iPad cases and stuff, the super expensive um, MagSafe double charger thing the, the duo that doesn't include the power break <laughs> like it almost seems like there's two apples like there, there's one w- one side of the company is getting pretty good or has been pretty good at delivering decent value and there's this other side not only are they not even trying but the, like it's almost spiteful how bad of a value they're delivering <laughs> or how how much of a market they are intentionally leaving totally unaddressed but i don't think that's necessarily profitable like yeah you know what happens when apple charges 129 dollars for a little bedside charger most people don't get forced into buying it and go oh well like uh, i guess i'll reluctantly give apple 129 dollars no they just buy something else from some third party on amazon for cheap like that's that's what actually happens here if somebody needs a monitor and the only one apple sells is seven thousand dollars Almost nobody, except jerks like me and John, are going to be like, okay, I guess I'll buy that reluctantly. No, most people are like, well, I'm just not going to buy that no matter what you say or do or no matter what I need. So I'm going to find other options. And it's a shame because that's really just lost business for Apple at the end of the day. And it's worse products for everyone else. But not much lost business. Like that's that's the reason. Like the, the the thinking that leads them not to make that thing is the same thinking that leads them not to make Wi-Fi routers and all these other things. Where or even Wi-Fi routers had a bigger mark than this. Like Apple, most computers Apple sells come with monitors. The ones that don't are the Mac Pro, which is now you're already in the market for a seven thousand dollar monitor. So that's a perfect match set there. No, there's no discontinuity <laughs> there, right? The Mac Mini, which is like, well, that's a weird ass computer that nobody uses, and you know, let them fend for themselves. The whole point is you bring your own monitor and keyboard, or you use in a data center or whatever. Definitely like a sideshow. And then all those people with laptops who just buy Dell 4K monitors that Marco doesn't like because everything is the wrong size, but no one else cares, or they buy those really big wide monitors. Like that overlap between like what the PC monitor market is fits fine for people who just who want one of those big curved monitors and don't care and hook it up to their laptop and so what's left what's left is weird people and now we're weird like marco or me conceivably uh where you have this very specific desire like you buy a monitor to list computer from apple or you want to use it with your laptop but you don't want any of the pc ones because you don't like the curves and you want the dpi to be what you expect it to be and it's like it's getting narrower and narrower and it's like i feel like apple learned from making like the thunderbolt display the 24 27 inch thunderbolt display and the 24 inch apple led display before that 
that they just don't sell a lot of those monitors because people look at those just like the weird $129 bedside thing. They're like, eh, I'll pass. I'll buy a Dell monitor, right? And who's left? Just, you know, just the people who want an external monitor, which is already a fraction of a fraction, and just the people who are willing to pay the, admittedly not ridiculous, Apple premium for a monitor instead of just buying the cheap Dell that is the wrong shape or whatever. So the bean counter perspective on why they don't make this makes sense same way it does for getting out of printers or Wi-Fi routers or whatever, because everyone looks at the Wi-Fi router and like, oh, I like that one, but it, I'll just buy the cheaper, you know, Linksys router, right? But the the thing that everyone's missing, the, the bean counter perspective missing, is sometimes you got to make products that don't particularly make sense on a spreadsheet just to give a better sort of cohesive product story, right? It satisfies your most loyal, most stupid customers who are willing to spend tons of money (laughs) they become evangelists for your brand and even if you lose money in every single one of those 5k apple displays that you make in the grand scheme of things in the long run it helps your business and that that pitch is the one that you need to make inside apple to make this happen and it seems like that pitch has been a tougher and tougher sell i mean it's the same kind of pitch that made apple take its eye off the mac it's like yeah but we make our money off the iphone and we just need to satisfy existing mac users to some minimal level and they learn that lesson of like no you actually have to you have to put more in than you think to the mac market even though when you you know when you look at the line graphs like the mac is in the mix with like i don't know like <laughs> whatever other products that it's in the mix with it's not you know it's it's like the iphone and now services and then the other products apple makes you know Charging bricks and also the Mac, right? <laughs> That's kind of kind of the same level of stuff. But but it's like you have sometimes you have to spend more than it seems like it's worth to keep to keep the ball rolling, right? And they learned it on the Mac, but they haven't learned it on the sort of accessories thing, the sort of the idea that you want to provide a holistic Apple experience. Steve Jobs seemed to be into that because he liked the idea of being able to sell you all the things, even though the vast majority of customers aren't going to buy all the things, right? But having all the things on offer, I think, makes your product and brand more valuable. I mean, obviously, you have to draw the line somewhere. Like, maybe probably Apple shouldn't be making printers anymore, right? But a monitor for your computers that matches them that almost nobody's going to buy, that you already have the panels for that you're using in your iMacs, Right. That I feel like is a small reach. Just making an iMac, no chin, no computer guts. Like it's right, it's right there. It doesn't. It's not that much more. And you're like, but I can't justify those development expenses. No, you probably can't. You're probably not going to make it back, right? But do it anyway because it makes your most loyal customers happy and it looks good in product shots and consider it part of your marketing budget. There, Apple. There's my pitch. Hire me. <laughs>